Derek? Uh, no, ne- Derek's not here this week. He's not here this week. No, he's he's been working so hard doing all the reporting from Comic-Con and just being Derek down in Southern California that he decided he needed to take two weeks off. Living the life. Yeah, you know where he went? Yes, I do. Southern California. That's right. <laughs> so... I, I think we can uh, we can probably handle it uh, by ourselves this week, especially since we all we have all these great interviews you did when you were at Comic Con. That's right. Uh, I did so many interviews. Let me do some quick math. We have at least eight minutes of audio coverage for everyone. Wow. Well, we better get on it because we ha- we haven't got all day. <laughs> Actually, we have all day, but I don't think we have anything anything else to talk about. I've got nothing. So, uh, let's see. If I recall correctly, looking at this piece of paper, uh, you spoke with Todd Nock. I spoke with Todd Nock, very first interview of the Comic-Con weekend on preview night. And uh, we talked a little bit about his Nightcrawler work. And uh, he was over there in Artist Alley. It's always good when the first person you go up to and say, hey, can I get an interview, agrees to an interview. That's a great way to start a weekend, along with starting it on Wednesday. Right. Well, let's listen. Let's. Okay, we're kicking off Comic-Con 2014 with Todd Knock on night one Wednesday. Todd, how the hell are you? <laughs> I'm hanging in there. Already, just the first day and I'm barely hanging say, in there. You've been here for 20 minutes. Thank you. Appreciate it. Todd's going to that. <laughs> Todd, what are you working on these days? Uh, right now I'm doing the uh, Nightcrawler series for Marvel, and I'm having the time of my life. I believe this was a dream of yours since you were just a young lad. Uh, for the, pretty much the first comic I collected regularly was Uncanny X-Men back in the, the 80s, and when Nightcrawler was still a part of the team before he moved over to Excalibur. So Nightcrawler's been one of my all-time favorite characters. Love the X-Men. And uh, Chris Claremont, you know, a writer I started reading when I was uh, 13 years old. So it's kind of a childhood dream come true, for sure. Dreams really do come true. So what's your goal for this convention? <laughs> Survive? Is, is, that, is that a good answer? You know, I... I I treat this convention like I do any other convention across the states. It's, uh, you know, come, do my sketches, sign comics, have fun, you know, talk with the, the, the fans and friends and, and fellow pros, and, and, and just really, uh, pretty much as long as I have a table and a chair to sit at, I, I'm good to, to interact with whoever comes by. 
Now, you are on a few panels this year, correct? Uh, yeah, let's see. I'm on the Marvel Unlimited Plus panel uh, Sunday morning, uh, which is just for the Un- Marvel Unlimited Plus member- members. So if you, if, you, if you don't have an account with Marvel Limited Plus, you, you, you don't get into the, the panel where we sneak preview all sorts of uh, behind-the-scenes art and sketches and story storylines that are coming up. Well, let's see, I'm on the Marvel Live podcast tomorrow night. Uh, I think that's around 5 p.m. So if this podcast goes up before then, tune in Thursday night, 5 p.m. This won't be up for probably a good week and a half. Then uh, Swing by Marvel's uh, the video uh cache of videos. I'm sure it's probably backlogged in their SDCC uh, live cast videos. I'm sure I made a fool of myself there more so than I'm making a fool of myself here. And then I, I got a Marvel signing on uh, Friday evening at 5 o'clock at the Marvel booth. So Awesome. So, typically now, we know you did the Spider-Man stuff yes. and you've worked on a lot of image stuff. Yes. <laughs> when was the last time you had a major Marvel book? Um, it was doing... Uh, Let's see, it was, it was a smattering of Spider-Man projects. I was doing work for almost every Spider-Man title. Amazing Spider-Man, Web of Spider-Man, Peter Parker, Friendly Neighborhood was, you know, the, the, the longer run that I had, the Spider-Man Clone Saga miniseries. Um, so it's just pretty much a lot of Spider-Man stuff. Then I went over to work for Robert Kirkman for two years. And then when I wrapped up Invincible Universe, Marvel uh, contacted me to, to launch the new Nightcrawler book. So I was really excited to, to break into the X-Men office because, like I said, X-Men, longtime fan. Yeah, it's awesome to work on one of your favorite characters. That's oh, yeah. amazing. Oh, yeah. Um, we'll wrap it up. All right. Because you've been a good guy. It's night one. I don't want to already exhaust you. And you've got Captain America waiting to talk to you. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and uh, Kid Colson, the uh, oh, yeah. famous co- cosplayer that. Kid Colson. You, you look him up online. This guy's blowing up. Awesome. Okay, so that's All right. Awesome. Thank you, sir. Hey, thank you. Well, that's great. I'm glad you had a successful interview right off the bat. Yeah, that was very, uh, gave me a lot of confidence going into the rest of the week. So the next day you talked to Sean Makowitz from, from Skybound? Sean Makowitz is the editor of every single Skybound book. And uh, I actually emailed him and set all this up. I actually, so he had a Reddit AMA. And during the AMA, I sent a question saying, Hey, at Comic Con, would you agree to an interview? And he said, Yeah, send me an email. Uh, and he gave me, I don't forget what the email address was, like walkingdead at skybound.com or something like that. And I emailed it, and it bounced back. Uh-oh. So I was like, okay, this guy either doesn't want to do the interview or just doesn't remember what his email is. But then I remembered from my previous uh, Skybound contacts what the probable email could be. So I guessed at it, sent him the email, and he responded, yeah, sorry, I put the wrong email down. That's... Uh, so we set up the uh, email. That's or real, we set up the interview. That's real Jimmy Olsen uh, journalism, right there. That that's is. right. I'm not. I won't walk away from a story. No. Well, listen. Let's listen to that story. Let's do it. Okay, Nate Costa here at Fanboy Planet. No, this is not Fanboy Planet. Nate Costa here at San Diego Comic Con 2014 with Sean Makowitz, editor of all of the Skybound books. Sean, how are you doing? I'm doing good, Nate. Can you run down the resume of every single book you've ever worked on? <laughs> no. <laughs> That's not going to happen. 
Now, I Googled you. It said somewhere around 1,000 or so books. Is that uh, accurate? Uh, I mean, I guess, you know, I worked at Collected Editions. My name kind of got put on a bunch of stuff that was just kind of packaging things, but um, probably closer to 30 to 40. 30 to 40,000 books or 30 oh, to 40 I, books? Uh, 40 books. Yeah, 30 to 40 <laughs> books. It's going, it's going swell. So, yeah. Uh, so you worked at DC prior to this. How did you break into the industry? Uh, well, I previously worked uh, in fiction for a romance publisher called Har- Harlequin, and uh, I just applied to DC, and uh, Bob Harris hired me for Collected Editions when he was head of that. And then when he moved up to um, editor-in-chief, he recommended that you know I make the move, and uh, I did that, and that was just sort of how it is. Pretty simple. <laughs> I mean... I don't know. It's it's weird. I think that uh, there was a stigma at the time that you kind of had to know someone to get into the industry, and uh, you know, I, I got in just through you know a good resume and, and I don't know, a good interview, I guess. So it's not easy at all. <laughs> so then, how did you get? Uh, how did did Robert contact you? Did you hear that Cena was leaving? How did that all work out? Yeah, I, I had heard through uh, a friend of a friend that that Skybound was looking for a new editor. Um, so. I, I hit up Robert, uh, and, you know, we got on the phone pretty quickly and, uh, you know, had the interview, and it went well, and within a week or two, I was out in L.A. kind of starting for Skybound, so they moved very quick. So you were in New York before at D.C.? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They actually, uh, I stayed in New York for about five months because I was getting married, and uh, I was working from remotely, and then I moved out to L.A. about a year and a half ago, and I'm almost celebrating two years of Skybound, so... Yeah, that's right, because uh, it was shortly after 100 came out that Cena was gone, right? Yeah, yeah, my first issue was uh, 102, so. That's exciting. So, obviously you guys have a ton of new stuff that's sure. coming out. Yeah. I don't know what you can say now, what's already been uh, announced. There was Image Expo. Was there any Skybound stuff announced at Image Expo? No, uh, right before Image Expo we announced uh, our new series, Birthright, coming out in October by Josh Williamson, who writes Ghosted for Us as well as Nailbiter for uh, Image Central, and drawn by a guy that I worked with at DC, Andre Brasson, who's fantastic. And uh, we have Adriana Lucas on Colors, who's the colorist on Thief of Thieves, and uh, Pat Rousseau, who letters a bunch of our books, is, is lettering that book. But um, it's a real it's a real flip on, on fantasy books. I think they kind of get pigeonholed into building this new world and, and these very familiar types and uh, I think Josh found a new angle on, on fantasy that, that really works for us and it feels very skybound in an image so what would you say the feel of a skybound book is um, I would say you know strong characters and, and lots of surprises throughout uh, most of our books tend to be either crime or, or adventure but uh, you know strong, you know wrapped around different concepts but yeah I would say you know strong central characters strong premise and then continuous surprises so I agree with that yeah, I mean, it's it's what Robert did very well with Walking Dead and Invincible, and I think it's it's something that we look at um, in all our books. Got to keep them engaged, man. Once you once you bore them, they're fucking out of there. Absolutely, and the new book Outcast has been exciting. Uh, what I mean, I'm assuming you guys are way ahead, or at least few issues ahead, so you know what's coming up. Sure. Can you tease anything? Well, not necessarily tease anything, but the overall feel is it going to be like that first issue, or is it going to twist? Because I know Walking Dead, Robert basically lied and said he was gonna you know <laughs> Robert Kirkman's a liar that's that's news to me yeah no um yeah I would say that the you know so the, the first issue is kind of lays out a lot of stuff that when you go back you'll, you'll sort of see things have different meanings and I think it's, it's really about the path between um 
the two the two main characters, the the, the priest and Kyle, and sort of how this uh, concept of demonic possession, how it's affected their lives, and how it tests them, um, will really come into play. And it's it's a little bit. I think Robert's writing this a little bit different than his other books. The you know the first three issues so far are a little bit more contained with continuing threads, like more short stories. And uh, I think that that first year will really build to um, some really crazy stuff. So. So, how hard is it for you as the editor? Because I'm assuming you're not really editing for content as it's creator-owned work. Uh, how hard is it for you to keep characters straight and so-and-so's not dead yet, or so-and-so is dead and you just wrote a scene with them and stuff like that? Well, actually, I mean, I actually do edit for content. Um, that's sort of like a part of what a service that Skybound provides to the people that work with us. I mean, you know, Robert's got some books that have been working very smoothly before I before I was here, before Scene was here. So that stuff is a little bit more hands-off, but uh, with someone like Josh Williamson, he likes the collaborative process, so, you know, we, we go back and forth and, and really try to... We spend a lot of time developing these books. I mean, with Birthright especially, uh, we started working on this over a year ago, and uh, a lot of that was, you know, uh, work on the story and making sure that's right in the characters, and then finding the right artist. And, uh, you know, we already have three issues of that drawn and that's not coming out until October but um as opposed to like keeping characters straight like yeah I mean actually with Walking Dead that's a little bit harder but um we actually developed a, a sheet which lists every character that's living or dead and uh that's that's a that's fun keeping a timeline that is as accurate as possible so yeah sure yeah so is there anything you want to uh want to plug or just say to finish this up yeah, no, I mean, uh, the other title that we launched this year between Outcast and Birthright coming up is Tech Jacket by uh, Joe Keating. Oh, yeah. Who's... Friend of the program, Joe Keating. <laughs> Friend of everybody, Joe Keating. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, he, he's writing Tech Jacket, and Kari Randolph is drawing it, and I mean, it's just a fantastic book. It really kind of goes past its superhero origins into a real kind of, like, heavy sci-fi uh, with enough exploding, and Joe's got some inventive curse words, and uh, it's, it's, it's a beautiful book, and I think people should really check it out, even if you are not familiar with Tech Jacket, um, it's really something you can pick up, and, and just it's a blast, so. Awesome. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. And you got something a little special from him as well, I think. That's uh, right. I got to go into one of Image's secret rooms at uh, the image booth, they build these walls that have, you know, they're whatever. It's a big fortress. Image booth was big this year. It was uh, normally they have the the image booth where they sell stuff, and then they have a little section in the back where image creators can sit at their own little tables. This year, they had the image booth where they could sell stuff, and then behind that they had another big wall set up where, and some TV screens where they had all the signings. So uh, it was like a double image booth. So I got to go into one of the secret rooms to interview Sean. That's awesome. And you made it out too. I did. I'm, I'm, I lived to see another day. Tell the tale. <laughs> well, Matt Hawkins from Top Cow is up next. Matt Hawkins, COO at Top Cow. Uh, we met on free comic book day at Earth 2 Comics. He was there with Mark Silvestri doing a signing, and I chatted with him, and uh, he gave me his email address, and I emailed him a little bit before Comic-Con and said, hey, 
I'm going to be at Comic-Con. Can we get an interview for the podcast? He said, yeah, absolutely. That'd be great. So um, we should probably be able to hear what we talked about because I recorded it. <laughs> okay. Well, okay. <laughs> what a surprise. <laughs> let's, let's listen then to these, this recording of which you speak. Let's do it. Nate Costa here with Matt Hawkins of Top Cow. Matt, how the hell are you? I'm doing very well for this first day of Comic-Con. Yeah, the first day of Comic-Con. Is this your first day here or were you here last night too? I was here last night too, but this is the first full day. That was only a couple hours. Yeah, that couple hours. I hadn't. I didn't come last year. After those few hours, I was like, okay, I don't know. I might be getting too old for this. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. This is my 21st year doing this. So, speaking of 21, okay, so have you been in the industry 21 years or yeah. just coming here for 21 years? No, I started in April of 93, uh-huh. and uh, July of 93 was my first Comic-Con. Okay. So, how many, let's go through and list every single book you've ever worked on. Uh, the first comic I ever wrote was called Six String Samurai, which was a one-shot based on an uh, independent film that came out in the mid-90s, uh, basically about a, a rockabilly guy who went to Las Vegas in an apocalypse. Uh, it's kind of silly, but fun. Um, then I uh, did a few scattered things, which I forget, but then the big thing I worked on was Lady Pendragon. Once uh, Extreme Studios sort of went out of business, um, I went to Image Central and started self-publishing books. I did uh, Lady Pendragon and Alley Cat and a few others, um, but Lady Pendragon I did 18 issues of. It was the book that uh, it was very uh, kind of a passion project. I always loved John Borman's Excalibur, and I always wondered uh, how you could, if the sword didn't go back to the Lady of the Lake, what would happen? And that was sort of where I started my my idea. And uh, then I went to the present day and, and did some nuttiness, and that was what sort of put me on the map as a comic book guy, a creator, not just a business guy. Right. Um, and then uh, I got married, had a couple kids, got divorced, and then uh, decided to start writing comics again after all that. So there was about a ten year gap where I didn't really write comics. And uh, cause it's other stuff, marketing, business. Um, in comics or just In out? comics. Yeah. I worked on the Power Rangers TV show a couple seasons, uh, but mainly in comics. I was still full-time at Top Cow the entire time. And uh, But uh, then in uh, about three years ago, I just got the itch to write again. And it was because uh, I wanted to do some science-based things. I actually have a master's of physics, and I never really used it. Um, and I was still in school. I graduated in 94. Um, so I was working in Image when I was doing still my studies and uh, we were doing so well at early image I just never went back into science um, but uh, always felt like it was good to have a, that base and it's like a, it's, it's a good resource for research and materials so um, I just started getting back into the sciences and reading up on it because you know you're out of that for 15 years it's like a lifetime you know I mean so it took me a good year to get back into it and figure things out uh, and then I just started having all these creative ideas from the stuff I was reading in these science journals you know and uh, then Think Tank came about um, um, and then after Think Tank, I did Wildfire, Tales of Honor, uh, done Aphrodite 9. Um, what I try to do is, uh, I know some of this stuff's pretty extraordinary, but I, everything I try to base in some sort of groundable reality. You know, like uh, Aphrodite 9, although it's a sci-fi future craziness, it's it's about genetic research and cybernetic enhancements, you know. And to me, that stuff's all going to be possible in a few hundred years, you know. And it's going to be possible in the next 25 years. So Wildfire is absolutely scientifically possible. And Think Tank is a little far-fetched, but fun. So, uh, but all the science is uh, semi-grounded. In the back of every book I do, I include what I call science class, which sort of so people can get more into it if they want to see some links and check out some YouTube videos and and, and see what sort of the science is behind it. 
So what's your what's your daily schedule like at this point? You're COO, right, at yeah. Top Cow? Yeah. So what do you do? Like, do you say, all right, nine to five, I'm writing, or how do you how do you work out your day? Uh, I write in the mornings and I do business in the afternoon. It's really that simple. I don't take any meetings in the morning anymore, and uh, I get up five six, write till about ten, go work out, then I head into the office, uh, get there around noon. You know, I'll have a meeting or two, and then I'll do the business stuff in the afternoon. And that's been pretty much the way I've been doing it for the last several years. It doesn't work out always that way. There's some days where, hey, the taxes are due, so I'm spending five fucking days doing taxes. You know what I mean? Or or I got this book that i got to get out for Comic-Con, so I'm spending three days in a row only writing. I actually prefer doing the creative work now. It's weird because... Um, when I did Lady Pendragon and I got toward the end of that, I just kind of burned on it. You know, I didn't know it for two years, and I'm like, eh, I don't know if this is for me. And I, w- I, I regret that, actually. You know, I regret that. I wish I could go back. I had two young kids at the time, so I had a lot of uh, things pulling me different directions. But, um, yeah, I'm really enjoying uh, the creative process now. It's, it's a lot of fun. That's cool. So when you come to something like this, are you able to get any work at all done whatsoever? Uh, well, the marketing work, building a fan base, selling some books, yeah, it's all work. You know, being here, going to panels, meeting, networking. You know, most of the people that publish our books in the foreign territories are all here. Uh, meet a lot of film and TV people that come down to say hi. Uh, you know, we inter- make a lot of announcements. Uh, this is a big sort of networking mecca marketing event. So, it's uh, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of good that comes out of this. That's good because a lot of people are, fan people are saying, oh, Hollywood's taking over. But, I mean, you can see there's obviously still comics here. But, yeah, a lot of those meetings and things do happen because everybody from outside is coming to San Diego. Yeah. Because they know San Diego is the big convention. Which is weird because most of these people, I'm in L.A. and most of these people I I meet with anyway. And then the same people I see for lunch. I I had lunch with a guy last week and he and I have a meeting tomorrow. And he's like, he basically said, hey, I just need to put a bunch of meetings on my schedule so I can justify my being there. And I'm like, oh, okay. (laughs) So, for me, it's it's less, I'm not pitching anything. You know, it's just more just meet and greet, more of a network, keeping up with people and giving them some free shit that we're handing out at the booth. Um, and uh, but this is our main purpose here is to convert new readers and to uh, say hi to the existing ones. Right. Now, how long did it take you to get down here from? Did you come Wednesday or Tuesday? Uh, I came yesterday. I left at uh, about twelve thirty, and I got here at four thirty. Four hours. Yeah. So it was nine. Yeah. yeah. How long? <laughs> take you a long time too. <laughs> yeah, we left at uh, ten thirty or so, and got here. Almost three o'clock. So, yeah, it's not. It's, it's a lot of traffic. Yeah, yeah, it was a lot of traffic. It was, uh, it was, it was pretty brutal. It's, uh, you know, a lot of people take the trains now, which I think is smart. I've never actually done that. Um, the train's not close to where I live in Culver City, so I, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm just kind of lazy and I prefer driving. But I, uh, like my girlfriend, took the train down. That's a good idea. Yeah, my wife did that a couple years ago, before she was my wife. And I just picked her up from the train station. And it was much easier for her than it was for me. Yeah, I can imagine. Well, plus you could read on the train, you know. And uh, I like the idea of public transit. I Just in L.A., uh, public transit is so shitty. You know, I mean, it doesn't go anywhere. I mean, like, I, I've said this repeatedly. I like my car. And people in L.A. like to drive their cars. But if there was a public, like, if there was a subway that was reasonably near where I lived and went reasonably near to where I worked, I would take it. 
It just doesn't exist. Where are where's Top Cow located? The offices where are they look. Culver City, right by Sony Pictures. Okay. And I live in Culver City, so I could walk to work, but it's, it'd be a twenty minute walk. And that's a little far. So it takes me about. For me, I, I don't commute. I don't like riding on the freeways. Um, so I, for the most part, you know, it's four miles, four point four miles from my house to uh, the front office. So it makes it convenient for me. You've obviously done some research on the exact distance. On the what? The exact distance, four point yeah, yeah, four yeah. miles. <laughs> Well, I've run it, and I do uh, triathlon stuff. I ride my bike, and I have the mileage. And so, yeah, awesome. yeah, I have little routes I use and stuff. So, but uh, yeah, it's it's a uh, it's 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 not very far. I kind of like it. I mean, my, I know people that uh, commute an hour, hour and a half each way every day, and I don't understand how they do that. It's just uh, quality of life, man. I could. Yeah, absolutely. Nuts. I interviewed at a place in Century City, and one of the people there was saying, "Oh, yeah, it took me three hours to get to work." And it's like, why do you work here or move closer? Yeah. I mean, they, I mean, she was an attorney, so it's not like she couldn't afford to move closer or be an attorney somewhere else closer to her. Right. But, yeah, I don't understand uh, why someone would want to do that. I understand if you can't get another job and you can't move somewhere else, but right. to want to drive three hours to work, that's nuts. I know some people that uh, that's where they do the phone calls now. They have the cars, the Bluetooth, and they, they'll sit on the phone for, t- for an hour each way, and they handle they have their rolling call sheet, and that's what they do. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if as a lawyer she does that. You know, it's interesting. I mean, people acclimate. My dad used to commute, and he liked it. He said it was the one peaceful hour a day he had. You know, he had three <laughs> kids and my mom. and So I say I have a peaceful hour each way, and I listen to the radio. You know, And I'm like, all right, I, I can get that because I have two sons and three dogs and lousy, uh, loud household. But uh, I, I just I don't, I don't like sitting on the freeway. Drives me nuts. Well, especially because it's the freeway and you're not going anywhere. Yeah, yeah exactly. So they just call it the slow way. <laughs> uh, anyway, you got anything you want to plug before we uh, wrap it up? Um, I'd say the biggest thing I'm, I'm pushing right now is this new wildfire book I'm doing. Um, it's uh, it's kind of, it's it's in the vein of Think Tank, which people seem to like. Got well reviewed. It's sort of a science thriller about accelerated plant growth. Sort of a disaster story about uh, science that gets out and genetically modified foods that get uh, filtered into the environment. And, and alter the biosphere and what happens. Um, sort of a cautionary tale. I'm no super activist. I'm actually kind of in the middle. I think GMO can be good, but I think we need more regulation. So, And when I started doing a bunch of research on it, I realized that both sides of that fence are lying about everything. And I was beyond shocked when I really started doing the research and I realized that because uh, just this country is so polarized about everything now. It's uh, it's kind of fascinating. And I, I you know, I talked to my, my dad and his and my mom's brother and they told me like, it's always been that way. I'm like, really? And it just seems like it's more polarized now. I'm like, no, it's always been that way. So I realized I guess this country's just always been polarized. Yeah, now it's like social media and the internet. You can see right. how much people are on opposite ends of everything you can't say anything and have somebody not want to argue with you yeah well for me it's weird because i am a uh, I, I, I i'm more of a libertarian than anything but i don't really i'm not a member of that party uh, i'm a republican kind of a name only i'm sort of a fiscal conservative but a very social liberal you know what i mean and so it, that's kind of a weird thing and my parents were fundamentalist christians so i was raised very right winger and i'm the only guy i know that's gotten liberal as he's gotten older i don't know of anyone else that's done that and uh, it's really weird because I've flip-flopped on every social issue. Every single one. You know? And uh, for me, it's just uh, once I lost the, my faith in Christianity, I started looking at all these things and saying, okay, you believe this for this reason, and I no longer believe that, so I don't think I'm going to follow that tenet any further. Um, but uh, anyway, I'm happy people have faith. 
Good for you. Well, cool, man. Thanks a lot. Uh, Matt Hawkins at San Diego Comic Con. Right on. Thanks, man. Thank you, sir. Appreciate awesome. it. A fine recording, after all. <laughs> so, next up was writer-artist Laramie Taylor, also from Top Cow. That's right. And this interview was not set up beforehand. I was actually, I had just finished interviewing Matt and was walking around the Top Cow booth to leave. And Laramie had been sitting behind me while I was interviewing Matt. I didn't know who he was. Uh, I just figured he was somebody that worked at the booth. But he said, hey, if you're doing interviews, I'm available. And I was like, okay. And he had his book there. And we talked about him before on last week's podcast, I think. Yes. Uh, And I mentioned what affliction he was born with, which now I didn't Google it, so I don't know it off the top of my head. But he draws the entire comic with his mouth. He puts a pen in his mouth and draws. And uh, sitting at the booth, he does, you know, he does sketches for people and stuff. So you get to see him do this. It's quite amazing. Um, and I'm sure I'm going to sound like an idiot in this interview because I was completely unprepared. And uh, let's let's have a listen to how stupid I really am. Well, let's let the listeners judge for the <laughs> for themselves. Here we go. All right, kids, I'm at the Top Cow booth with Laramie Taylor, author of A Voice in the Dark. Laramie, how the hell are you? Doing pretty good. So tell us a little bit about A Voice in the Dark. Um, Well, I I write it, I draw it, I letter it, I tone it, everything um, uh, with my mouth. I'm a disabled artist. And it's about a young woman who is just starting college and is struggling with her lifelong compulsions heading down the road to being a serial killer. So you're going to tell me that you drew this with your mouth, that I'm, what I'm looking at right now, the cover here? Yes, I did. That is flipping fantastic. Thank you. Appreciate that. Thank you. But yeah, um, my wife colors the covers, but I do all the line art and I do all the interiors. Uh, starting with the next arc in September, we're switching to color, and she'll be doing more of the color on that. But. So do you do it like pen and paper, or do you do it on uh, digital? I do it on a Wacom Cintiq tablet with a pen in my mouth, uh, working. Just It's a big 21-inch. Um, but I also draw on, on paper here at cons, you know, doing sketches and sketch covers and things like that. So what is the story... I'm looking at volume one right here. So is this, did you do issues or how did we get a volume one? It's the first seven issues. Um, It uh, started in November of 2013 and issue seven came out in May and then the trade just came out in July and it collects all seven issues. It's actually more like seven and a half to eight issues because the first issue was about a double size issue. It was 36, 36 pages. Of sequentials, and then every issue after that was 20 to 22, and it's going to be 22 a month going forward. Um, but yeah, it collects the first seven issues, and then in September, a new number one, the next mini series starts, and it'll be a new number one, it'll be a five issue. Okay, so that was my question was going to be, is it is this like a finite thing, or are you doing volume one, volume two, volume three, I'm gonna, up until I'm going to keep doing volumes as long as there's interest in it. You know, as long as it's doing okay, then I'll do another arc. I have probably four or five planned, you know, that I have mapped out of my head that I could do. Um, and that doesn't even wrap up the story. It's just what I've got plotted out. 
if it continues to do okay and I can keep doing it, great. If not, then you maybe put it away for a while, do something else, build up more of an audience and come back to it later. But it's, it's the kind of thing I would like to keep doing or come back to if I have to. But Sure. So what, what got you started in the comic industry? Um, well, mostly I am a caricature artist. I, I started out doing you know, face caricatures at parties, conventions, festivals, things like that. And I'm also a writer. I was uh, writing uh, for theater and screen and not really getting very far with either and thought that, well, if I combine the art with the writing and you know, put out graphic novels or comics, maybe I could make a living doing that. I don't have a lot of other marketable skills. I can't go just get a regular day job like most people, so I have to figure out how to use what I got to make money. And This seemed like a, an idea. <laughs> I was going to say a good idea, but you know, making money in comics is not necessarily a thing so it's not a good idea but it's an idea so at what when did you realize okay I can draw with my mouth um, like you know, most kids just started out doodling when I was a kid and people thought that was cool and being a kid you want attention so you keep doing it it's something I just kind of practiced that and got better at over the years uh, my mom is artistically inclined and she taught me some and then in junior high I had my first real art teacher and he's the one that got me into doing caricature and got me doing actual paying gigs doing that and just kind of ran with it from there. You stick with it, you keep doing it, you practice. And That's if it's the thing. Not something you're good at, then you just move on to something else. You know? it's like when I was younger, I was a thousand times better artist than I am now. So in eighth grade, I thought, holy shit, I'm going to be a comic book artist and then realize, no, I'm terrible. <laughs> Well, did you draw a lot, though, when you were a thousand times better? I did. All I did was draw when I was That's a kid. That's why you were a thousand times better. Yeah, you don't do it for a while. It's like anything else. Yeah. If a football player stopped playing football for five years, he'd be terrible when he came back. But, yeah, it's, it's just like anything else. You just got to keep practicing it, working it, exercising it. And it's also, you know, some people just have it, some people don't. I mean, I think anybody can pick it up, you know, but natural, you know, there is some level of natural talent and everything. You know, some people are just better at certain things. And so, with this specific uh, book, did you take it to Top Cow and say, like, did you shop it around, or did somebody say, did you know somebody, did you send it submission-wise to, you know, right. independent publishers, whatever? How did, you, how did you get it to the point where they're like, yes, go ahead and do this? I put it together as a Kickstarter, figuring that I could use the Kickstarter to fund a pilot, so to speak, that I could shop around to publishers, and that turned into a 56-page graphic novel, and I took that to WonderCon in 2013. Yeah, last WonderCon, uh, just about a, yeah, a little over a year ago, and I took it to WonderCon, shopped it around to about 10, 12 publishers, had a few that were interested, and settled with Top Cat. That's, you know, the, the ones that were interested, I definitely was wanting to be here you know, have a connection to Top Cow and Image and all of that you know, that's definitely definitely where you want to go so right yeah to have creative control over your own stuff is awesome yeah exactly they've been great about that well, cool man do you have other 
uh, stuff in your head, or is this basically what you're focused on is this? I've got a ton of different ideas, but it's a matter of I kind of trying to find other artists because I can write a number of scripts each month, but I really am only going to be drawing one book at a time because otherwise I'd probably want to jump off a cliff. So, um, you know, it's, it's kind of if I can find other artists that are willing to work on a creator-owned project where you're not getting a page rate. A lot of artists don't want to do that. You know, people that are already in the industry want the page rates. And so it's, it's kind of... And if, if they're willing to do creator-owned, they want to do creator-owned for a big name because they know it'll sell. So I'm kind of not there yet. So it's it's a matter of just trying to find artists that I'd you know, be able to work with or you know, if, if sales on this one you know, go down and it's just not working, I can set it aside, try a new idea, maybe something a little more commercial, something a little more accessible. I kind of started with my least commercial, least accessible possible book I could do. And I didn't do that on purpose. It just kind of turned out that way. Um, so... I'm actually happy with how the response has been. Um, it's it does okay, and uh, you know, considering how not mainstream it is, that's not bad. Yeah, I'm happy with that. Yeah, absolutely. It looks great. I can tell you that. Um, it's a black and white book, mostly female characters. They're drawn realistically. They're not all cheesecake and TNA, and not a ton of violence. So basically, I did nothing that would help sell it you know it's it's yeah I pretty much went down the checklist to make sure you know that that I didn't do anything commercially viable at least it turned out that way you know? great idea yeah the trailer talks about uh, how it features such pop cur- uh, pop commercial or pop culture commercial kryptonite as a female protagonist realistically drawn women persons of color you know, things like just goes down the list and you know, kind of making fun of the fact that it's not a normal comic. You know, it's, it's a very much different. But uh, the audience has been really receptive. You know, I do, it's a small fan base, but it's been a very enthusiastic fan base. The people that have found it have really liked it. People who are looking for things that are a little different, that are uh, not the same action and and hero and you know cheesecake female characters if they're looking for something more character based and a little more grounded you know it's, it's, they might like it so cool so I like to add, one of my main favorite questions to ask is what do you try to keep a regular schedule for example do you say I'm going to work on the comic from 10 to 6 or whatever or do you just say alright it's time to work on it I feel like working on it how do you do that uh, my daily life can get kind of hectic with my wife's health and her needs on a daily basis so it's hard for me to set a a, a regular daily schedule but um, when I'm in production working on the book I'm working pretty much from when I get up to when I go to bed with breaks in between to go to the store, get something to eat, make sure she's got what she needs, things like that. Um, so I can put in anywhere from an 8-hour to an 18-hour day, depending. And uh, I, I do about two pages a day. So I get an issue done. Uh, 22-page issue I get done in about 15 days. So... Awesome. Uh, you got anything else you want to plug? I mean, 
Uh, no, just that the trade just came out and the new arc starts in September. And uh, issue one of the new series uh, has a variant cover by Ben Templesmith. It's a convention sketch cover he did for me. So, and then there's uh, Terry Moore did the variant for number two, and Jamal Eigel did a variant for number three, and I've got a, you know, more people lined up. So, sweet. So when you say it's a convention sketch cover, you brought it to him, said, "Can you sketch on this?" And then you turned it into the variant cover. No, I actually commissioned him at a convention to do a sketch for me of one of my characters. And it came out really nice, and I asked him if I could use that, and he said that would be awesome. And it, it was a really nice piece. And so it will, uh, and he painted it, and there is color too, yeah. So, um, but it's got a really cool, raw, hand done sketch feel to it. It's, it's a great piece. It's, and, uh, It'll be a cool variant. And then Terry Moore did a sketch for number two. My wife's going to color that one. And she's going to color Jamal Eigel's as well. And then a couple of the other artists I have lined up, they color their own stuff. But Awesome. All right, man. This has been Laramie Taylor and Nate Costa at Comic-Con. Oh, I'm, that's going to be red. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll, we may get mail on. No. <laughs> I, think, I think we'll be fine there. I think you did a great job. So uh, next up, we have uh, Fanboy Planet favorite, Cena Grace. That's right. Cena, friend of the program. He, uh, I talked to him on, what, Friday? And, or maybe this was Saturday. Writer, artist, uh, for, former Skybound editor, now at Image. That's right. Now he does uh, Burn the Orphanage with Daniel Friedman, and he, he writes and draws that, co-writes and draws that, and he still draws the little depressed boy. Um, and he didn't have a, his own booth or table this year. He was kind of wandering around, but he had uh, he was set up at the Splash Page Art booth for signings the first three days i think he and i chatted for a few minutes at the splash page booth the splash page is actually really awesome they it's basically uh this guy i think his name is mark hoy don't quote me on that but uh he basically brokers the sale of original art from comic book artists so that you can buy original pages there and it's it's very awesome very awesome booth if you get a chance to ever check that out but the money goes back to the artists i believe so i don't know what their you know business model is with that i'm assuming he takes a cut or if or it's going to the hero initiative or some sort of something comic book legal defense fund maybe or maybe those things aren't involved at all i'm just talking uh but yes there is some sort of business model i assume okay I don't think we can get much more definitive than that, not knowing what we know. Right. So, uh, here's Santa Grace. Okay, kids, I'm here with friend of the program, Cena Grace, at the, uh, if my math is correct, this is the 2014th edition of Comic-Con. Cena, how's it going? Good. I'm questioning your math, but otherwise I'm good, and I'm happy that uh, there aren't trucks just interrupting this like last time. <laughs> That's right. You were in New York last time we talked to you. How did that trip go? 
it's fun very busy New York is uh, every time I go I'm like alright I'm gonna sleep this trip it doesn't happen it doesn't happen it's always like even if you're doing something tame you're out till 4am and then you have to wake up at 7am because you gotta get on a train for a meeting so fun I just didn't sleep and didn't you just get back from uh, some other country where'd you go I, I had to go to Costa Rica um, under under more dramatic circumstances than, than it looked like on Facebook. My, my dad got sick, and he lives out there, so I was visiting him and drawing, like, Burn the Orphanage pages in the, in the jungle, which is cool, but also very surreal. It's been a surreal summer. Lots of travel, lots of drawing. I don't remember anything. Do you remember anything from yesterday? Dinner. <laughs> oh, where'd you go to dinner last night? Uh, so there's a there's a restaurant in Los Angeles called Pizzeria Moza, and they have one down here. And in LA, it's like a 45 minute wait to get in. So basically, preview night and last night, I've insisted on eating at the San Diego iteration, just so I can get like a year's worth of this fucking stupid delicious pizza in my mouth. <laughs> and and. And go back home and not feel sad that I, you know, I can't get this bougie pizza. Where is it located? Because I might have to try this place. Um, it's just past Seaport Village. Uh, there's like a little shopping center, kind of past the those strip of hotels in the, on, along the bay, uh, away from the gas lamp district. So this is my little Comic Con secret: eat at the waterfront. <laughs> fewer people, fewer crowds, fewer costumes. I have another secret for you that we just figured out. Um, at the Hilton, there's a Fox Sports Grill. Oh. Nerds don't go to a sports bar to eat. All right. Noted. Noted. And this is really good conversation for fans wanting to know about process and comic books and art and story. Rick, yeah. cut this part out because I don't want everybody to know about the Fox Sports Grill. Pizza. <laughs> Let's just talk about pizza for 20 minutes. I mean, Ninja Turtles is coming out, so we really, it's timely. It's timely to talk pizza. Speaking of Ninja Turtles coming out, they have, I don't know if you've been able to walk around outside, but the Petco parking lot where they have the food trucks and whatnot, there's a pizza launcher, and they're giving away free slices of pizza. That's dope. For a movie that I'm kind of not excited about, that's a really great promotion. <laughs> Actually, the great promotion is that you're only kind of not excited about it. Yeah, that's They fine. should put that in the poster. Could be worse. Cena Grace. We'll see. We'll see. I don't know. You know, all those movies are you never know until you actually see it. I thought Scott Pilgrim was going to be awful. And then the first three minutes in, I was like, I am blindly devoted to this film. So you never know. I think that girl over there is a wrestler. Maybe she's just a bodybuilder. Which The one that's in the black top right now? No, the white pink, pink ears on the head. Oh. Oh, yeah. She's got the arms for it. I don't know if she's a professional wrestler or just a bodybuilder. Or just a random chick who likes to work out. Unless she's got pizza, I don't care. <laughs> uh, so tell us a little bit about where you're at with Burn the Orphanage. I know number three came out a couple weeks ago, right? Yeah, number three came out, I think, a week or two ago. And um, number four is at the printer now. We're balls deep in number five. And that'll wrap up our second storyline, Reign of Terror, which... If you haven't picked it up, um, I sincerely implore you to go download the first couple PDFs or whatever digital comics from Comixology because it's building, it's ramping up, it's going towards this weird epic battle and little throwaway things you thought were stupid 
are turning out to be story points. So it's I'm I'm kind of excited that this goofy book is really it, it's got a good three act story that I'm I'm proud of, and I know that people who read the first story arc, uh, Born to Lose did not like how tangential it got and I just feel like this story arc doesn't do that <laughs> well you are wearing the burn the orphanage uh, 8-bit shirt when can we expect the video game to come out fall 2018 I don't know you know we're, we, we have good conversations we've been having some good conversations with people but you can't expect that like you can't think about it you can't focus on it you can't bug people about it it's just gonna like you just got to be cool, and if the bureaucrats want to make it, it happens. So um, I'm being real chill about it, but hopefully soon. Fingers crossed. Eyes, nose, and toes crossed. Stay chill. You learned a lot of things working at Skybound, I'm sure. A thing or two, yeah. I, you know, I learned, I learned, I learned the importance of shipping on time, and then didn't adhere to that. But uh, <laughs> I mean, other other media things. Yeah. No. I. You know, watching Robert um, Kirkman, watching him. Again, keep cool and, and sort of not place his eggs in one basket and not expect things. And then watching it pay off and then watching how having that cool attitude allowed him to just sort of continue focusing on his work and not carrying grudges for no reason. Um, that, that was really inspiring for me. And I learned a lot from his attitude. Cena has a tear running down his face right now. I miss him. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, again, he's he's an excellent businessman and, and a consummate professional. So it really, it's a good thing, I think, for everyone to learn to watch an established pro navigate this industry and see how to maintain a sense of decorum at all times. It's really good. And just to be an overall swell guy. Yeah, yeah. He, he, that's the other great thing to watch him do is just make people happy because he is so good at that. <laughs> he's so good at being famous. <laughs> um, but, yeah, he's chill. He's chill like me or maybe more chill. And he just completely railroaded our conversation. Yeah. Thanks right. a lot, Robert. Yeah, can't wait for your next Skybound releases and can't wait for your movie with Norman Reedus. Like, good work, man. Yeah, let's just promote someone else. Let's promote someone who gets uh, the front cover of magazines. <laughs> That's what he needs. So, obviously right now you're working on Burn the Orphanage. Uh, what is going on with Lowell Depressed Boy and is there anything else in your brain right now oh yeah yeah so uh the indie hit little depressed boys coming back in october for a new story uh taking place taking place right after things left off in issue 16 um it's a new number one supposed to be there too number one that's what it's called little depressed boy and uh it's just so good and and we really are doing our best to make sure that it reads like an issue 17 and it reads like an issue one so I, I do hope that we get readers old and new excited again. And then there's something else I'm going to be announcing next month, but I'm not right now. And that's just as cool as everything we talked about. <laughs> so yeah, if you like if you like anything Slice of Life, and if you like video game, and you like action, and you like cute chicks, and you like rock music, uh, you should look at everything I do. <laughs> 
please and thank you <laughs> awesome tell us a little bit about what you're doing here at this booth you're at splash page uh, at, so yeah. what's going on here i'm at splash page comic art booth 4400 for the rest of the weekend just doing a couple hours a day 11 a.m to 2 p.m and yeah, in meeting up with friends like you and uh, signing some comic books and doing some commissions. It's been it's been a nice weekend so far um, to to have a home base, but also not be tethered. You know, like in an artist alley booth where you're sort of worried about income and worried about uh, exposure. I just come here to reconnect and and have a good time and not and not worry myself. <laughs> Being chill. That's the that's the theme of this Comic Con and this specific conversation. This is a chill conversation. I'm not stressing. I'm not stressing one bit. Anything else you would like to plug at this moment? Yeah, I think uh, I think Robert Kirkman's got this book called The Walking Dead out. Um, it could really use some fan support. Um, he, uh, you know. It's this small publisher called Image Comics. I don't know if you've heard of them. Really, though, pick up The Walking Dead. No, I mean, you know, just enjoy comic books, buy them, support local artists, support comic stores, do digital, whatever you can to read content. It's, it's a really cool time in comics, and everyone's making something cool. All publishers have something great on the stands. That is a true story. There is a lot of good stuff out right now. And it's, and it's diverse. It's not... You know, like, you want to poop on DC, well, they've got all that good Jeff Lemire stuff. You want to poop on Marvel, well, they've got all these cool artists, you know, like Stuart Eminem doing X-Men. Like, you want to poop on Image? Well, no. <laughs> there's Saga. And there's a bunch of new titles coming out every month from them. There's Pretty Deadly, you know what I mean? You want to poop on uh, IDW? No, you can't. There's The Cape, there's Lock and Key. They, and they also have a bunch of other cool new stuff. It's everyone's got something. Dark Horse is also stepping up their game. Big trouble in Little China. Yeah, there you go. I think, and that's the other thing is even some of these licensing books like Adventure Time and Buffy, they're being done really well. So, um, oh yeah, and then all the small publishers too. Not small publishers, but more art house publishers like Fanagraphics and Oni. They're all doing fantastic new series and bringing out new voices. So. It's a really fantastic time to walk around the convention floor and just open up a book and see what you're going to get. Super and spectacular. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Have a wonderful rest of the time you're here. Yeah, thank you. Happy Comic-Con, right? <laughs> Happy Comic-Con. I, uh, I think we got the point across, though, that Walking Dead really needs a little more retailer support. <laughs> That was Cena Grace. That's right. Good old Cena, friend of the program. So, from Grace, we go to less graceful. <laughs> from Grace to Mike Tyson Mysteries. Indeed. Mike Tyson. Oh, that's right. Mike Tyson Mysteries. But actually, so, this is producer Hugh Davidson, right? Right, we'll start with Hugh Davidson. He so the Mike Tyson Mysteries panel. Mike Tyson Mysteries is going to be a cartoon on Adult Swim and it's kind of modeled after like a Scooby-Doo or those old Hanna-Barbera cartoons. Of course. So Mike uh, Tyson is a meddling kid. <laughs> no, Mike Tyson is the mystery solver. Yes, so he is one of those meddling kids, right? Exactly. <laughs> However, get your Scooby on. Right, sorry. 
most of the mysteries aren't really mysteries. They just call it Mike Tyson's mysteries. So, so it's like you, Mike well, Tyson makes spaghetti, or it's like Mike Tyson does stuff to help somebody out. Ah, um, which they talk about a little bit in the interviews. Like one of the mysteries is somebody needs a ride home from the airport. I think it was either Buzz Aldrin or Neil Armstrong or somebody. Uh, some astronaut needed a ride home from the airport, so they called the mystery crew. Or no, they don't call. They put uh, notes in pigeons, and the pigeons come back to Mike Tyson because he has pigeons as pets. Wow. And uh, one of the voices who unfortunately was not at Comic-Con is Norm MacDonald. I would have loved to interview him. Oh, yeah. But uh, it's Norm MacDonald, um, Jim Rash, who's the dean in community, Mike Tyson, and a woman from Mad TV whose name I would have if I actually hit the record button while she was talking at the uh, press roundtable. Um, so I got three out of the four interviews from the roundtable as I neglected to press record, much like Rick did at the beginning of this podcast. But no one would ever know that <laughs> except for... <laughs> okay, so let's listen to Hugh talk about Mike Tyson Mysteries. Yes, Hugh Davidson, producer. How's it going? Good. What are you dressed as? I'm dressed as Adam's. He needed me to stand to get the full effect, but there you go. Oh, that's great. Yeah. And what is it? Adam Strange, DC Comics. Ah, yeah. Yeah, it's sort of Sixties character. So did he always sit? No, but, you know. Well, no, he was... He's got a hero. He's like a hero. Oh, he's like... Hovering. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, that's tough. That's comfortable to solve. Be a hero yeah, it's a good idea. Yeah. You know, if you... I think you should write that up. Yeah. Solve some crime if I get some. Yeah. yeah. So we got to give you the full con experience, too, you know? Yeah, exactly. Like yeah. Exactly. Floor. It's not distracting. Don't worry. Well, he's an actor. Yeah. You shouldn't be distracted by anything. No, that's right. So with uh, Mike Tyson... Oh, so with Mike Tyson's history, are you looking to do self-contained episodes, or will there be some red or over... Or, um, story arc that you cover over a season? Uh, you know, I think I personally um, would hope that they're contained at least in and of themselves, that they, they feel like they're worth your time to watch the 11 minutes and it's not just one of those fan shows with just the, the real weirdos who super into um, the one show, they're the only ones that can enjoy it by the 10th episode it's so full of but at the same time um, I do like those little nuggets I mean yeah. it was like Seinfeld was, did it so well that they would have little things that you would have never if you had never seen those earlier episodes you didn't need to see to enjoy it so I, we wouldn't have like season long arcs um, but but I think there will be things that recur probably okay. you know if this, out of the first ten we'll see what, what seems rich enough to revisit um, but it, we're not going to plan anything because uh, otherwise it's like that sort of precious writing where you're like oh that's so funny what we wrote like, <laughs> we'll see what happens we'll see if it's fine we'll know soon enough so Rachel told us that the show came about because Mike Tyson went to the studio and said, yeah. I want to make a cartoon. I, 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 I doubt it. I, I think, I bet Mike has a lot of meetings with various entities and says, I would like to have a Mike Tyson blank, whether it's a ship 
or a planet or a t-shirt factory like but at the same time I do think uh, Mike had a genuine love of this stuff and it's like one of the things that like he's I find him very surprising like the things that he's uh, knowledgeable about or they're kind of interesting they're sometimes arcane but he's a genuine fan of all this stuff probably more than I am of this car- all the old cartoons and he knows it all so um, so I think he wanted to just be in one at what point did you get involved with this project uh, it, they had made a bit of a teaser of animation and I think they were kind of getting their sea legs and then um, I, I, all I know is I kept seeing a poster at Warner Brothers and I thought it was like the worst idea I've ever seen in my life I was like I'm so glad I have nothing to do with that it looks so terrible and then like two years later I'm like so involved with it so I couldn't say no enough so how did you get this way to be part of this project then? Uh, at a certain point I just it was a favor um, but then once like I think once I mean I I know Jim Rash is a. I performed with Jim at Groundlings and had some say in who we were going to get in the show. It felt like uh, something that could be legitimately good and funny. And I was a genuine. I know it sounds like bullshit, but I was a genuine fan of Mike. Like I used to watch those. Those. I mean, I guess the whole fucking world did. It doesn't make me unique. But there was also something even then. He would get interviewed, and he was like a fascinating. He's weird, and it's like, so he's got depth, and so out of all the people, if there was some famous celebrity that was going to be in a cartoon, he's a good one for it, because it's like, he's lived this life with a lot of, a lot of ups and downs, like he's a Shakespearean human being, um, the gladiator that like went in the, it's like, I mean, Jesus Christ, he's going to kill some people over there. Um, <laughs> But he's like, he's a fascinating person and he's he's very aware and it's he's fun to write for. He's like a, yeah, go ahead. And regarding the writing process, since you mentioned uh, there seems to be like a lot of uh, improv background going into it. So yeah. Did, did that factor in a lot or, or based on that original like idea and then from the pitch meetings, did it generate into, you knew you had a through line for how it was going to be or what the stories were that you wanted to tell? Or was it more of a sporadic bouncing off the walls? Our background as um, improvisers has largely... All that's done for me in terms of writing is have an internal clock as a performer as to how long have I been on this stage feeling like this isn't funny. It's uncomfortable. Or if I'm in a scene and somebody else is funny and I'm the person just standing here give this character something to do as a writer but it doesn't there's not a lot of improvising other than I want everyone the, the character the actors to make the language their own um, and there's not a lot of jokes it's not it's not a verbal clever show it's more about behavior I find that funnier it's just you know than like the old perfectly crafted line uh, also these types of shows they honestly they don't have the writing staff that those types of comedies tend to have they have 15 people trying to come up with the perfect line, even on set, to pitch to actors. When the elevator door opens and the character has to say something witty because they're surprised at what they see, there's 15 guys from Harvard that are, you know, and it's like, no, part of me also doesn't really like that. Okay. Um, and behavior to me is funnier, so it's probably more like on the, on the side of things that are like Larry David's show, Curb Your Enthusiasm, or something that feel less 
witty. Um, but you still want them to be funny. Uh, but all these characters are like, like Mike himself. I think he's very funny because he's very emotional. He, he has big emotional reactions to things. And his acting is surprisingly um, joyful to be around. He keeps things simple, but he's very committed as an actor. Like Mike, he just tries. If he's supposed to be sad, Mike, you can tell he just tries to be sad. If he's supposed to be happy, he's going to try to be... He doesn't try to be funny, and he doesn't try to be smarter than the material. Like a lot of... I think a lot of maybe retired sports figures or celebrities who would approach this material might try to play it cool. He never tries to play it cool. He's very vulnerable as a performer, and I think it makes the show funny. Because you don't feel like he thinks he's funny doing it. So you'll feel, I think it allows you as the person watching it to feel like you can laugh at this stuff uh, and not feel like it's a bunch of people who think they're so goddamn clever. And that it doesn't feel like he's not in on the joke, right? Right, because there aren't so many jokes. It's not like they, yes, they're a mystery-solving team that looks like those schlocky 80s mystery-solving teams. But for the most part, they just they try to do thing. They try to get the thing accomplished. Mike does in a straightforward way, and the comedy comes from them maybe not being expert in that area, and then having emotional reactions to whatever the situation is, whether it's hard to do or not. Um, yeah. Well, I think like people who write mystery novels, they make a lot of money because they're fucking hard to write. I can't write a goddamn mystery. I'd be a mystery writer. So it's like, <laughs> these things are just like, just some bullshit happens. And then Mike, he gets involved in it. It's usually people asking for help. And then Mike tries to help them. And then, because they, they basically came up with the name Mike Tyson Mysteries, I think, before I got involved. I don't know anything about mysteries, and I don't know, anything, I don't know how to write one. I think you have, to, you have to spend like a couple of years being Dean Koontz. <laughs> to figure out what the fuck went on in the farmhouse on the night of the... It's like, what the fuck would I know? These things, you got to crank them out. So it's like, you just want it to feel relatable. So, like, if someone asks Mike for help, it's inherently fun. Like, if it's more realistic and a couple asks the Mike Tyson mystery team to help them buy a house, like, to me, it was so funny listening to Mike say the lines, like, I'm concerned that they've gone out of their budget. <laughs> like, it's twice as funny. There's no joke. There's not any joke at all. But hearing him say that, and he says it like he's dead serious. Like, like he's concerned. So it's like, it's extra funny. You know, and he's really good at that. Like, giving himself over to half the time, I think, Mike, because there aren't jokes that are that obvious in the material. So he just does what's there, and he does it to the best of his ability. And I think the result is that it's very funny. Are there any Hopefully. topics you don't think he would touch on? Uh, I, I think he would. I mean, if you've read, he's a guy who will look at any part of his life, and he's brutally honest. Way too honest for, the mo- for most of us. Um, we won't probably touch on like uh, stuff that would make you think of something, that might make you think of something that really happened and it's unpleasant. Um, but we do want it to, to be real and feel like there's pathos in it and like, you know, if like Mike has, uh, Young He is his daughter and she wants to go to college because it's weird that she's still wearing a fucking tracksuit with a question mark on it and she hangs out with a girl. It's like, it, you know, she'll say that and then to hear Mike say, I don't know how I feel about you, you know, going away to college. It's like, he does that so well. It's very funny. And uh, I don't know where you'd get to see things like that outside of a show like this. Um, 
How do yeah. people bring their problems to the team? Is there a mic signal? Is there a hotline? <laughs> I know this is the part of the show that makes no fucking sense. Um, <laughs> Mike had, in real life, you know, he's got all those pigeons, uh-huh. right? And pigeons used to carry messages, right? We know that. So then the big buy that you want people to believe is that somehow you write down your mystery, attach it to the leg of a pigeon, and then that ends up at Mike Tyson's house. And then Mike Tyson reads the mystery. So um, for the most part, that's how they get the mysteries. And there's a pigeon coop in Mike's house. I've been to his house. In his backyard, there's a real pigeon coop. It's like a really nice house. But in the backyard, there's just a crazy wood pigeon coop. And he goes out there every day, and he's like, you know, petting them. It's, it's beyond crazy. Um, it's very funny. So that, that's basically the idea. And then how they find out where they're supposed to go, let's just not worry about that. So, like, an off-the-wall yeah. concept, like, like Mike Tyson Mysteries, really begs some outside-of-the-box merchandising. What's, what's the craziest uh, piece of merchandise you would like to see from this show? One more question. Uh, it's funny, like in one of the episodes... Mike's manager comes to him and tells him about an opportunity to make a line of Mike Tyson neckties because the word tie reminds him of Tyson and this guy is like he's got a bunch of bad ideas about how Mike should be licensing his name and there's there's several bad products in that episode um, but I would buy any of this bullshit I like his I like his sweat jacket the one in the show um the young he one, the pink one's good looking. I get that. I hope there's a lot of young he uh, stuff. Oh, there's young he right there. Um, so hopefully they'll sell a lot of shit. I think it's like it will be very funny. Maybe the pigeon because it's Norm Macdonald, and everything Norm Macdonald says is by definition the funniest oh, thing absolutely. on the planet. <laughs> it's like I hope that we are able to fully take advantage of how funny Norm is. I know we won't because it's like there really ought to be the Norm Macdonald mysteries at some point. Um, he needs ten times as much screen time as he ever gets, but he's so funny, and he's he's so funny on this show. I love I love him on the show. Very real, like super real. Because like that, to me, that's what seems the only thing I would want to write is like things I observe and think are funny. And I'm a human being. I don't I don't know anything about mysteries. I could give a shit about superheroes. So, like, you know, it's like real stuff is funny to me. And Mike being in that world is just dealing with real stuff. So we put him in a house in the suburbs of Las Vegas. And when they, they go to that one of them, it's like they get a message. And it's like, will you give me a ride home from the airport? <laughs> so they just go to the, they go to the airport. And they, you know, they end up, at, they end, it end up, ends up being Buzz Aldrin that they pick up at the airport. <laughs> And is it the real Buzz Aldrin? It is. It was, it, although he doesn't do his own voice. We were all too scared that Buzz would turn it down. So we got another angry old man to play, the angry old man. Um, but Buzz is like, because like, one of the writers, a guy who wrote on it, had one time interned on some shitty celebrity prank show or some goddamn thing. And he ended up as a PA having to pick up Buzz Aldrin from the airport. So we basically just stole that life experience from him and shoved it into this and made a mystery out of it. We need to wrap this up now. Thank you, guys. Thank you you very much, you guys. So then you stayed at the table. Is that the way it worked? Yeah, so they had us set up at these... It was about eight-person... They had two circular tables pushed together and just a bunch of press sitting around in a 
in an oblong circuloid shape. Uh, and it just so happened. I used to watch the circuloids. That I was sitting next to a gentleman from Bleeding Cool who was dressed as Adam Strange. I think he was from Bleeding Cool. I saw that ABC guy. Are. I saw yeah. that guy in your picture. So he's dressed so, as Adam Strange. Dressed as Adam Strange. It was actually a really cool costume. He had like coming out of his waist, he had like legs in a crouch position, and his actual legs were flames coming out of the jet pack. Oh wow. So he was like flying Adam Strange. It was a really cool costume. Um so we sat separated by a chair at these tables. So the uh the stars, if you will, came and sat next to us. They sat right in between us. So the first lady who I mentioned, uh, I forgot to press record on, sat between us. Then Hugh Davidson sat between us. And then Jim Rash's PR guy came to the other side of the table because someone had gotten up to get a drink of water and sat him opposite us. So the sound may not be as good for Jim Rash as I was not sitting directly next to him. I had to reach out over the table. Okay. Well, let's see how that went. Let's. We have the how and why of it happening. Uh, the how is uh, the producer and writer, uh, Hugh Davis. Uh, I went to the Groundlings uh, program and subsequently with the Groundlings performing together for years and Rachel Rambers, who voiced the young so, so it was sort of like that's how I, they at least allowed my voice to be part or, or at last if I could try to make it okay. Um, and the why, why not? I mean, it's, uh, you know, you hear Mike Tyson mysteries. I'm a child of the '80s. I grew up. Thank you. Thank you. My nest leaves water has arrived. Um, and I, you know, I grew up on watching Saturday cartoons when they started to when they before the live action stuff started. You know, and uh, Scooby Doo and all those things. And so yeah. Would you have said yes to just hearing the title? Yes. It, yes. I mean, I'm sorry, but everything was about solving mysteries then, and who didn't have an, uh, who doesn't have a next chapter where they say, I want to solve mysteries. This is what I'm doing now, and that's what I want to do next. And all I need is a sidekick and a weird animal. <laughs> and I'm good to go. So when uh, researching the role, or if you did any research for the role of the Marquis of uh, Queensberry, I mean, it's it's the history is very different than how you would imagine yes. someone named the Marquis of Queensberry would act. Did you just throw that all of that out the window and make well, it your own? Well, you know, I, I it certainly was educated that John Douglas of Queensberry is who I believe uh, is the real man who uh, was what's the endorser, official endorser of the rules of boxing. So it makes sense that he'd be in Mike Tyson's life. Uh, do I know what John, <laughs> my voice would be in doing John Douglas' voice? Probably not. You know, uh, we certainly played around with it in the beginning. Uh, I was British for a while and then we made it just more a, of a I, I attribute to when you had that high school friend who went to England or London for the summer and then came back and then they were like suddenly had an accent that's probably what I sound like yeah they were like where they tell you you just don't get it it was different I love it there is your involvement in the production uh, are you doing anything on the writing side the production side or strictly just voice acting no just just uh, uh, 
let me uh, yeah no uh, that's all you and Rachel and, and some other writers yeah it'll be me because well, you have done some pretty significant writing I mean uh, when you read other people's scripts do you kind of Want to improve it in any way? I mean, uh, I, uh, I, uh, I do. No. What if I? What if I, what if I said I had, a, I had a red pen around my hands? Uh, no. I. You know, it's, it's such a. That's why I also did the writers' room. I, I just love like absorbing other people who are have similar goals about writing and learning from them. And uh, I, you know, I had the utmost faith certainly in these writers. And the same thing with Dan or any of the writers' community. It's like. You know, I just love going there and just having the thrill of just acting. You know, can you talk a little bit about how how Community got picked up by Yahoo of all things? How I have no idea. You know, it's like how Community, you know, the year it's a whole journey. It's pretty amazing, and we're we're lucky, you know, um, to one get at least a sixth season and uh, at a new home, but be the same show. You know, I know Dan. Uh, that's the important thing. You know, what, what what's going to happen? I have no idea because it's such a fresh. I think even Dan started this process. Is is voice acting something that uh, you had considered in the past as wanting to get involved in before the show? Uh, well, I mean, I, I guess. I will say that I see that world is sometimes hard to tap into, you know, like I, I, I audition for stuff, but I, I guess, you know, when you see really good voiceover artists, which that's not, I'm not in that camp, I'm not saying when I, I've watched, you know, I was telling that story, I did a, like a small voice on uh, a more recent streaming uh, thing, and they usually put it all together, or just that, and I was just sort of impressed by how natural it was for them. I think the guy that was doing Scooby Doo and Fred is still doing it or whatever, and he's amazing. One, you know, the voice is But, uh, you know, I think it's, it's, a, it's a fun world to be in. It's something completely different, and, you know, I'm learning as we go, I guess. Is there anything you'd want to do as a ghost that you would do as a regular person? Well, I mean, the ghost has the best. I mean, you can have, have a spy. Come on, you get to go through walls. Right? Well, if you pick one, what would it be? What is your one oh, ghost power you would take into your real person life? Uh, I think, I think, uh, passing through walls. That seems like a, uh, you know, because who here hates having to go to bedrooms to your kitchen? And you're like, this is the worst wall of my life. If I was a ghost, I would cut this out completely. Is your ghost and then your house can be redesigned. Is your ghost the ghost everyone can see or just the main characters? Oh, uh, no, I think everyone, everyone no. can see it when I think about, uh, yes, everyone is speaking to me. It's a good question. I start to think like, yeah, I haven't, I haven't spoken to everybody. Do people ever, in the show, are they ever scared to see these ghosts? Or is it just... I'm, not, I'm not scared anybody. I think I, I must have just a, a wonderful personality. No one seems terrified. We live in a world where I'm open. Ghosts are okay. <laughs> and a talking pigeon, so we should say yeah, yeah, correct. We don't need to overthink it. <laughs> <laughs> More of an Obi Wan Kenobi. Yeah. Uh, oh, yes, I guess. Oh, my role. Yeah, yes. I'm like the uh, Highway to Heaven angel. <laughs> <laughs> That's who I am. Yes. Well, I started. Yeah, I started with the English cartoons. My own personal history. Oh man, uh, it's tough. 
Um, plus so many items <laughs> that I really need to find. That's a good question. I don't, I don't, uh, is it like a mystery? And we're all trying to figure ourselves out. So. Have you asked uh, Mike Tyson to help you solve a mystery off screen? No, but I will today. <laughs> I am sure it'll go well. <laughs> so we might be off this afternoon in, in a car or a <laughs> to solve something. Maybe you can help you solve mysteries of the heart. Yes, that's right. See, that's, that's time for you. It's like uh, working with Mr. Donald. It's great. He's hilarious. He really is. He, uh, luckily, we do a little bit sort of in that style all together in the room. Uh, not always, you know, but those times, which I always feel like bring out the best in everybody. Uh, it's just naturally funny and smart, and then always has a story for something. So, that said, sometimes you're like, we gotta go, and he's telling a story, but it's, it's always interesting. Does he hit his lines pretty well? Yes. Yes. And he always, he's got a writer's mind too. So, and he was great, they work together, and I don't, it's not an improv, but rather a word that he thinks of that's just that writer in him says, this might be better. Does the, does the death and conditions behind your. I mean, you're a ghost, so does that ever come up as a, as a plot? Is it, do you guys think that you're going to try and pursue that? Sure. Is that going to be a Mike Tyson mystery? Yes. <laughs> to figure out what happened to, uh, well, he calls me Marcus, but the Marquis. <laughs> now he can't say my name, so he just says Marcus. So that just fits. And so I just accept that I'm Marcus. But uh, yeah, it'd be fun to see the, so the story. You know, it's nice because uh, I don't know if this is always, but it feels like adults who really like to just jump into the world and not necessarily the, the pilot world where you're like, and this is why I'm here, and this is why I'm here. So I think we sort of bump in so you can sort of go back and figure out some stuff. Because it's later that you sort of hear the story about how Pigeon uh, became Pigeon, I believe. It's later. Which is a curse by his ex-wife. So it's the Marquis, uh, how, how internet savvy is the Marquis? Do you have a Twitter account? Well, you know, he's, he probably, probably is pretty savvy because he's obsessed with it. In one episode I know about um, young P just changing her hairstyle and getting involved with more of an updated look. So he's very into the Vogue and, and magazines. So if he's on there, he must have a little pop culture. <laughs> Well, each of the characters have a sort of, like, Mike will at some point get a fight. Obviously, uh, the daughter is sort of a penny character from Inspector Gadget. Yeah. And are you Voice of reason, yeah. using your ghost powers to help solve the mysteries? Is it in a regular one? Uh, no, I, it's like, uh, other than passing through walls and stuff so far, I haven't uh, uh, utilized that in tune that way. But yeah, we're both sort of, really, I guess in a way, a voice of reason, or am I more, I guess, shepherding him to do right? You know, and, um, and Pigeon obviously is doing the opposite, so angel, devil type thing. But so far, yeah, I don't think I've used any. Like, were there any catchphrases that have emerged for the characters so far? Not yet, but I'll tell you, I say Michael. <laughs> I, no, no, it's always like Michael. Yeah, well, just, <laughs> or just all Michael's behavior. <laughs> so, how would you describe the magic behind his tattoo? This How do I, or how would you describe it? Yeah. I don't know. Is it a source of power? I don't know. <laughs> light up, you know, glow, and there's, there's a, a predator, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's fantastic. 
So what other cartoon roles would you want to play in? Uh, like real people? Would you want to be an animal? Superpowers? No. You know, I, I, I would love it to. Uh, I, I don't know. I'd be, I'd be, love to be a villain. You know, like a good villain. What would be the thrust of your villain? You're, uh, what do you mean the thrust? Like, what does he want to conquer? Oh, do you make me write this? False. Uh, <laughs> you are a writer. I don't know. I, I, I want it to be Tell very me. like. Uh, I think of the best ones like. Uh, Thriller the Bill, and I think of, uh, I don't know what her name was, I think uh, it was in The Rescuers. Yeah, I do, yeah, I know oh, what you're yeah. talking about. But she was fantastic, it was all about a diamond. I don't know, maybe something that's very, like, old school. This is what I want. A big diamond. <laughs> there. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm sure I can fix that later. Uh, and then finally, finally, the man himself, the champ, as they say, Iron Mike Tyson, uh, he was the last interview to go around the tables, and uh, he was at the table next to us. Adam Strange and I looked at each other and said, Mike Tyson is sitting between us. So when Jim Rash got up and left, Mike Tyson was still at the other table. When he got up to come over, I said, hey, Mike, over here. <laughs> and his PR guy looked and said, oh, there's a seat right there, because he was already on our side of the table anyway, so he didn't have to walk around. So he came and sat between us and uh, conducted the wonderful interview you're so, about to hear. So this should sound great. Yes, it should, although he did hit my hand six or seven times, so there may be a few bumps. <laughs> he beat you up. He talks with his hands. and he talks I had, with his hands. <laughs> I had my hand out holding my uh, recording device, and he bumped into me a few times. Okay, well, listen, I'll, I'm going to leave those bumps in there because that's that's yes. history. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Okay. Oh yeah, the whole thing. Oh, I'm doing great. You enjoying the time? Yeah. Yeah. We got a quick one to get in Okay, come on. Oh, yes, great. Well, I'll answer What's the, hey, what's this, the, this is Ranky, would you mind? I'm, I'm uh, from a website with a list. Hey, can we hold this guy? No. Can we hold this guy? Let's go with the No, anyway, sorry. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. So, how are you doing cartoons? Hey, man, um, this is what happened. All right, this is what really happened. Every now and then, like, remember when they had, um, Bart Simpson and stuff, you know, every now and then they would bust my chops and have me on Bart Simpson and stuff, and I would get mad and threaten the guys if I see him. and, um, I took myself totally too serious back then, you know, and, um, this is just what it is, and uh, I like doing this stuff now. Of all professions, why a detective? Detective? Yeah. I don't know, but that's the job they gave me. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have any input into the appearance of your character as it was drawn? No, no, no. I just know that um, when it was time to perform, I would do the best that I can do. 
you know, I, I don't. I'm not. I'm not concerned about. I want to have some creative control. I want to be involved. Just give me a scenario. Let me do my best. That's the kind of form I am. You know, I can't set up my own scenario. I just gotta let it boom. Give it to me. Let me see what I can do. Do you have a, a catchphrase for every time a mystery comes through? No, but I think we're gonna work on that. <laughs> regarding the uh, regarding the fact that we were told by some of your castmates that you brought the idea to Warner Brothers. So what made you decide that you wanted to do an animated series as opposed to maybe like a live action show? Or I mean, you had your one man show. Yeah, um, I just want to try everything. I want to see um, how good I could be and the best I can be at what I what I'm doing. I just, I want to do everything. You know, I want to do a musical. I want to do everything. I want to try to sing. It's going to be some hard shit. Man. Just, <laughs> Are you going to sing the theme song? No. I want to sing on stage. I want to be a Broadway show and sing on stage and do a musical. Well, can you sing us the theme song now? Is there words to it? Matter of fact, there is words. What are they? I don't remember them at the moment. <laughs> How does it feel to... Um, perform dialogue that's written for, uh, for you that the characters you but um, do you feel like the writers have your voice down or do you sometimes say I would never say something like this hey listen um, if you're a professional I'll make it work let's make it work I mean, anybody can say well I'm not going to do that I want to do it where I'm satisfied I'm very comfortable being uncomfortable so I just go for it do you, is there time to improvise in there? Do you lend yourself or do you just read the script? Well, I read it and um, sometimes they ask for, for, for improvise. And I improvise. But like I was saying, I, like, I, like, I like to do it sometimes with a script. And I like to do the best I can do with what I have. I can always, always change it, but I just like to see what I can do. I, just, I always like testing myself. I want to be a, a serious actor one day, God willing. We've heard that a lot of what you did uh, was you're very into your character. That when your character feels something, you feel something. Is that how you approach a lot of your? Yeah, I'm very, um, you know, um, we said I'm very emotional when I do. You know, um, when, I'm, when I'm around the house, I'm very boring. I'm not excited. Like when I have a chance to, um, to work and perform, um, I just go for it. You know, I'm not afraid to be a, a jerk or anything. Laugh at myself anymore. You've, you've reinvented yourself more than probably anyone else. I don't else know. I don't know if it's reinvented. I just think um, in stages of my life, I grow and I learn from mistakes and I grow up and stuff and I become more responsible. There's still stages of my life that I need to grow more on and stuff. And um, just a moment of time, you know. It's not gonna happen overnight, but I'm, I'm still working on this stuff. What's your uh, What's your mystery solving style? Are you kind of get it, get no, all the facts no, no, first? No, or no, no, that's not true. I get my pigeon. My pigeon. <laughs> <laughs> Someone wants to uh, mystery solve. I go to the pigeon coop. I read the message. Then I get my team. My my my. my I thought she was Chinese, but she's Korean stepdaughter. <laughs> And I get my ghost of um, the Marcus Queensberry, and then I get the pigeon, and then we, you know, we do a little brain surgery and we make stuff out. Do you love pigeons? Oh yeah, that's 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 your Why do you love pigeons so much? What, 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 just, um, uh, I'm gonna explain it like this. Um, where I come from is like a culture, it's like a person that has horses or something. Everybody that I'm associated with in my neighborhood, everybody I know, we all have it. We all understand. We all have the same lingo. 
um, we just know my, most of my life is when I'm outside I'm looking up I'm looking up for hawks I'm looking up for what kind of stray birds that's just that's the mentality that a pigeon um, a pigeon flyer has if, uh, where are you guys I'm sure you got some guy that flies birds but someone knows everybody knows somebody that has pigeons and um, that's just um, that's just who we are that's just our life we live our life but um, we love our birds we constantly look up because we always think of the stray bird or the bird coming back and that's just what it is. Do you have a certain bird that you miss that you've had in the past that you um, especially love? I like, I like rollers. Okay. I like rollers. Homers make the money, but I just love rollers. I love the rollers. They're, they're, they're a lot like me. Um, they're different kind of rollers. You may have watched um, um, Sir Anthony Hopkins, Bozart, the movie he was in, he didn't sell. Claire, you notice in the movie they say you don't mix two deep rollers together, you know, and um, you have to read a shallow one. And a deep. my mother and my father, and and um, and metaphor they're both deep rollers, you know. And when you mix two deep rollers, I'm 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 an offspring of the deep rollers. When you mix two deep rollers, they crash, they kill themselves. You know, they can't stop. They get into the roll, and they're in the roll so deep that it comes a suction cup, and the wheels can't open up because they're going too fast, and they smash in the ground, you know? And I'm, I'm, a, I'm like a, I'm a descendant from two um, deep rollers, but um, I learned not to crash. And that's my, that's my metaphor, because they die. They die. They're like, they're going to die. I don't care um, what you do when you let them out. They may survive the fall, but when you let them out, they're going to hit the floor. They're going to die. That's what they're going to do. Nothing's going to stop them. They're going to do that. So um, I learned not to be too reckless and not to hit the ground. One more question. Do you have a favorite mystery at the episode you've done so far? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what might that be? Could you explain that? Well, I won't be able to tell you, though, but I promise. But once I tell you, then I'll come back at the end of the, at the, end of the show, and I'll tell you, this is my favorite. <laughs> Have you ever done Genesis at karaoke? Genesis? Have you ever done Phil Collins' I'm Genesis at karaoke? No, but people always ask me to do that stuff. And you've, you've never said yes? Huh? You've never said yes? Well, listen, um, this is what I say. I met his daughter. He had a young daughter, and she said... Um, I represented them well in doing the song. Your father liked the song. My father, my father liked the song. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thanks for coming out. Thank you. That was really great. Thank you. You gonna watch the UFC fights? Thank you. You gonna watch UFC tonight? Who fighting? The Robbie Lawler and Oh yeah, Lord Brown. Him and Brown fighting today. Five o'clock. You got 23 minutes, Mike. He don't want me to give nobody love. Well, I, I, you have a lot to be proud of there, Nate. <laughs> That's right. I got off one of my own questions. Yes. And then, so, I mean, Mike Tyson, right? what, a, what a turnaround story there, right? Yeah, absolutely. After so many years of kind of a... Uh, of the fisticuffs and that fighting stuff that he did. And then the, you know, the descent into madness and cannibalism. And then now he's, now he's, uh, he's a cartoon character on adult swim. That's right. He's definitely, uh, definitely turned a, turned a corner in his outlook on life. And he talks about that quite a bit in pretty much everything he does these days. Yep. So you just keep getting, up and up and up. The next one we have is that guy who makes all the action figures. 
That's right, Mr. Todd McFarlane. Oh, we, uh, should, we should mention that you were on TV too, weren't you? I was. I was on, uh, what day was that? That was Saturday. So the show actually aired on the 31st, D, uh, All Access Comic Con on Spike TV. But uh, Saturday I was walking along down the floor and I saw the wrestler, Mr. Anderson, who wrestles for TNA. And I went up to him and said, hey, can I get a quick picture with you? So we took a selfie and he said, the camera just photobombed you. And he turned and pointed to this TV camera because I guess they were shooting a show that I interrupted. And uh, then a, a PA came running up to me and had me sign a release and said, hey, we might use that on the show. Sign this. Cool. So sure enough, I got four seconds of screen time. And you, you were able to rotate the back of your head towards the camera in that four seconds. That's right. And you can clearly see my backpack that says Away from Air. The camera. It says <laughs> my Air. backpack says Air Dog that I wrote on it in <laughs> high school when I was a uh, high jumper. And everybody awesome. used to call me Dog Costa. Wow. <laughs> wow. We're learning so much about you. That's right. Time. A journey into the past of Nate Costa. So Todd McFarlane is next. And uh, he had basically a quarter of the the image area was dedicated to the new McFarlane Builder Toys, which uh, are a little more grown-up version of Legos. Um, I, I saw those on that very same Spike TV show. Yeah, they have, and I took some pictures of them. I don't know if. Uh, I'll probably need to send them to you or Derek, but uh, it's actually really cool. Like the where Legos have, you know, the top still looks like a Lego. These, the top is painted, or there's art on it, so yeah, it's I, almost like a puzzle and a builder toy. There was one model of the tower in the mm -hmm. prison from Walking Dead, and you can yeah. see. The staining on the side went over multiple bricks. Yeah. So it it was uh it was it did look like it to assemble it properly would have to be kind of like a puzzling experience. Yeah. It they're actually they look really cool. They look like uh, when you get them all put together, it looks like a little model. Well, let's listen to Todd. Let's do it. And you. Uh, I actually interviewed you at uh, the first Image Expo. We talked a little bit about Patrick Willis' toys. I know. I've had a couple people bug me. And I know Mike Testasso who works for you. Oh, yeah. I coached him in basketball when he was in 7th and 8th grade. Oh. And then I went to the school before that. So anyway. All right, Nate Costa here at San Diego Comic-Con 2014 with Todd McFarlane at the McFarlane booth. We've got these new uh, builder sets. Todd, tell us a little bit about them. Uh, look, I've been in the toy business now for 20 years. Uh, the, uh, when I went into that industry, I just wanted to do action figures that I thought were just a step above, uh, both in terms of the look and the content of what was out in the marketplace. The, you know, the, the Fortune 500 companies that make toys, uh, their business model caters to, you know, the youth, right? Six and seven-year-olds and, and the moms and dads. And they don't, they don't, their, their business model, which is worth billions of dollars to them, uh, doesn't sort of allow them to age up their products, right? And so it always frustrated me that I could walk into a big toy store and say, all right, I'm 14, 
what's in this store for me? And, 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 and in all honesty, I think you can count things on one hand if you ask that question. Bikes, skateboards, a couple board games, and some uh, uh, video game consoles. And everything else is catered cater towards the youth, which, which is great because they're, they're servicing that. But as we get older, I, I go, I don't understand why we can't still sell toys to people in all forms. I don't care whether they're dolls, action figures, building sets, but the only way we're going to get there is if the content and the look of them is as sophisticated as the, as the consumer now. So if you're 25, you can't sell them shiny sort of silly objects. You're going to have to give them you know, either the music or TV shows or, or movies that they like, and you're going to have to put it in a form that looks realistic. So for me, they've left an opening in that aisle right now of building sets, and they're not willing to basically do high-end art in plastic form. And I go, perfect, because I've been doing that gig for 20 years. I will take up that mantle, and I hope to be in that aisle for the next 20 years. So obviously you're starting with Walking Dead, and are these out, or are they releasing soon? No, the, well, the first one we're coming out with is uh, MC's The Walking Dead TV show, which is obviously a global phenomenon. Uh, they'll come out the end of October, the end of October, beginning of November of this year, 2014. Uh, Toys R Us will have the exclusive for the Christmas selling season. And then starting in 2015, we open the floodgates to everybody else. And internationally, we'll come up with a bunch more that we're already got Series 2 down the line. I mean, the upside, too, is we've got all these figures to go with it. So I'll be able to do the entire cast eventually. I could never do that at the 6-inch aisle. And then we've got a, a couple other big brands we're chasing. And, and on top of it, the, uh, the retailers in that aisle are, are open to the idea of me coming in with like $12, $13 bills that are just little assortments of TV shows or comic books or movies that are maybe everybody's favorite that are, is listening. If you've got a favorite, I can do a $12 bill to it. They might, they might, it might not be ready for eight feet of construction, but I go, just give me some assortment, which I used to do, like the movie Maniacs and things like that when I was, when I was doing and we can get back into those kinds of business and do it. And then ultimately, once I establish myself, I just want to do robots and dragons and monsters and military and just come up with the crazy things in my head. So, obviously these are early stages, but are there any plans to do, like, build an NFL stadium? Yeah, the, we've thought about it. We've had a lot of people ask. The toughest thing about sports, and it's always been, even, even with the figures that I do, is that there's still a regionality about it, right? And so, it's where, where something like uh, The Walking Dead is sort of coast to coast and every everybody either sort of you like it or you don't where when you start saying I'm going to do the Seahawks player or the Seahawks stadium you have to kind of be a Seahawks fan to want to go and, and get there I'm going to try and figure it out and if we can't do it on a big retail mass retail I might do it as you know again an online project or something like that right so. or maybe if you had the NFL license sell them at the stadiums themselves right wow that's a whole nother interview <laughs> so. um so, we talked before a little bit about your comics career. What, when was your first actual published work? I, saw, I signed my first contract in May of 1984, and my first, my first comic book came out in February 1985. So, my first comic book convention where we're standing was in uh, about June... Or July of 1984. So I, somebody, I, I hadn't done the math, but somebody says, "Oh, it's been 30 years." So 
because it's been three full decades now. I've been I've been on the professional side, just sort of doing what I do. And what was that first printed item that had your name on it? Well, here surprisingly, there was two. I I, I was working for Marvel and did uh, about three or four issues, uh, 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 a backup story in a book called Steve Englehart's Coyote, and then the book got canceled. So. And then I jumped on another book called Infinity Incorporated over at DC Comics. And by coincidence, my first issue of Infinity Incorporated and my backup story in uh, Coyote for Marvel, because it was scheduling quirks, both came out on the exact same day. So it was, I had actually, I went from being a zero to having two of them on the same day. And I go, wow, I've arrived. And I went up and down. They gave me free comics. And I was going to college. And I, I walked up and down the, the neighborhood. And I knocked on everybody's door and going, hey, you don't know me. You don't care about me. But here's some free comic book. And I just went door to door. And, and that was my highlight that day. That's pretty cool. Um, I really just wanted to ask you about the toys. So if you got anything else you want to add, go for it. Um, we've got we've, we're wrapping it up right now because we are wrapping it up. We got obviously we got the six inch figures that are still coming. I mean, we'll stay in that business. We'll stay in that oh, business. Yeah. But but like I said, the, and you're the, still the best at it. The the this category right here, a build. And if people want to see what we're talking about, go to McFarlandBuilds.com. There's videos that show you what we're talking about. I I I I think I think we can make a dent in that aisle right now. I do have one more quick question. Sure. Are you doing the? Uh, you were doing the stuff for the Howard Stern show. Did you end up doing it or did you not do it? No, I did it yesterday. I haven't been able to listen. So. No, I did it yesterday. How'd that go? Good. They're geeks, just like all of us, right? So Absolutely. We, the world is littered with us right now. Did you go on Geek Time this week yeah. at all? Yeah, yeah. Were you there, was it yesterday? Yeah. And then they did some some side sort of program stuff, talking about some other things about the convention. Yep. Right, right. Had a good time. That's cool, yeah. Those, those, guys, nice are, guys. those guys are pretty fluent. And, I and, just got and to hang out with them, actually, yeah. And Geek them, they are pretty fluent, so... Awesome. Well, thank you, sir. Yeah. We need Appreciate to get. It. We need to get. I, we're bugging. We need to get Howard down here. I said know. the same thing. Yeah. yeah. And I asked keep, when Howard Con is going to be. Yeah. The right. real Howard Con. Right. <laughs> Thanks a lot, man. Cool. So, did you, did you pick up any of those uh, those assembly? Oh no, models? no. I didn't. I didn't buy anything for myself at Comic Con. Ah. So uh, after Todd McFarlane. Who else could you come up with? But Eric Larson. There you go. <laughs> and uh, Eric actually flaked on our initial interview time. Uh, he was doing. He did a signing. What was it? Thursday, Friday, Saturday from five to six at the Image booth, or six to seven, one of the two. And uh, we had talked, and he said, "Oh yeah, just come. You know, a little bit." Before my signing, we'll do a 5.30 interview. And that was on Friday. <clears throat> so I'm standing there on Friday, and he walks up at about 5.58. And I see him go behind the counter, and he's talking to some image people. And then I walk over there, and he's like, oh, my God, I totally flaked on you, didn't I? I said, yeah. So he's like, all right, we'll do it tomorrow. I promise I'll be on time. I'm not doing anything else. Got a signing at six, but we'll do an interview. So uh, we set up a time, and I met him again at the image booth, and we went into another secret room. Ooh. This one was actually the uh, it was basically the green room for the talent that was doing signings. So this I was in the same room that held such luminaries as Robert Kirkman, T- 
Todd McFarlane, John Lehman, anybody that had a signing and needed to put some stuff down or just rest and get out of the public eye for a moment went into this room that I sat in with Eric Larson. Let's listen. <laughs> Sounds weird in here. Okay. All right, I'm in a secret uh, back room. We'll just start right now. All right, do it. We're in a secret back room with Eric Larson at San Diego Comic-Con 2014. Eric, how the hell are you? Oh, my God, I'm so good. Life is wonderful. <laughs> so you're not doing the full Eric Larson con experience this year. What do you got going on? You know, it, well, it's kind of a mixed bag because when you're sitting someplace, you never get to see everybody you want to see. And when you're not sitting someplace, you're really tired all the time. <laughs> so I just wanted to, I, I, I went for tired this time. And so I just want to be able to wander around and flip through old comic books and look at original art and see people and not be tied down to a table the whole time. So that's what I'm doing. Have you found anything awesome yet? Old comics or um, art wise? I've seen some cool art. I haven't bought it yet. So I'm sort of like, uh, do I do this or do I not? So I'm just wondering if I'm going to pull the trigger on that. And, I'm, and then I sign at the image booth for a couple hours here and there. So it's not not too bad. And you're selling a new book. What's that? I'm doing a new book called uh, Giant Size Kung Fu Bible Stories, which is a treasury edition with uh, me and like six other really awesome dudes. I can rattle them off if you like. Please do. Bruce Tim heads off this fine comic book and then uh, Adam Warren is in there and then Ryan Otley does some stuff and Tom Scioli does some stuff and Andy Kuhn does some stuff and then Arthur Adams does pinups throughout and then I am there as well so it's like eh, it's not a, not a bad lineup as, as lineups go and you said you're doing it so this is more than a one shot it's, it's well it's we'll see the, kind of the idea was to do it as a one shot just a one shot treasury and it's actually been been years in the making so that's the thing with 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 a lot of this is like when you when you have heavy cats working on it they gotta fit things in between their schedule and kind of the idea was everybody would do eight pages and and they would all do it was the idea to do new characters and stuff that people haven't seen before so it's a lot of first time ever appearance of, of cool shit being done here and then I ended up doing way more than eight pages because well, some of the guys who said they would do it didn't end up doing it so I just did like oh, I'll just do a full comic so there's 20 pages of my stuff in there and I overheard you tell, telling someone else that you did some pages of Savage Dragon twice up were you doing twice up for this as well yes this was done twice up actually I penciled it some time ago and I inked it more recently and what I ended up doing is going to the Xerox place and blowing up my pencils 143% and then inking them on a light box. So I was, but my pencils were full because initially I was thinking that somebody else was going to ink it. So it was, it was kind of fun to revisit something that I had penciled quite a while ago, actually. But fun times. It looks really cool. Um, I got a chance to flip through it. I don't have any money to spend on it, but <laughs> what are you going to say? Just the poorest man ever. I, I am right now. Yeah. 
Well, I'm sorry. One day, I will be the third poorest man ever. Wow. Dare to dream, man. Uh, so, Savage Dragon 196 just came out Wednesday, right? Yeah. One, oh. And 197 will get sent to the printer on Tuesdays. So. How do you do that so quickly? Because at Big Wow, you were working on 195 at the show, and 195 came out just a couple weeks after that. Yeah. So, were you ahead in terms of 196 and 187? <laughs> so, how did you get this done so quickly? I'm a machine, man. I get my stuff done. I mean, that's really, you, you need to, people ask, well, how long does it take you to do an issue? And it's like, well, generally a month. And that's kind of kind of what you need to do in order to have your book come out every month. Um, but, yeah, you know, I don't plan things out too terribly far in advance. Sad to say. There's a lot of, like, little, little like, okay, I know where I'm going with this in the back of my head. Um, but it's not terribly planned out. At this point, I don't even write plots down. I just kind of start drawing and have it, an idea of where I'm going. I've been doing this for an awfully long time, really since fourth grade. So <laughs> I just kind of been winging it all that time. I took a 10-year break and did stuff elsewhere, but mostly it's been Savage Dragon my entire life. So I, I kind of got it dialed in. That's funny how the 10-year uh, break includes Spider-Man, among many other things, and you still get asked constantly for Spider-Man commissions and stuff like that. Yeah. Well, it is what it is. Spider-Man's kind of a popular cat, so, you know, you just kind of roll with it. Okay. Every now and then somebody will be like, oh, can you draw me Robot Man from the Doom Patrol? Like, All right. Well, whatever. You've been drinking. <laughs> well, you just did uh, that Superman, Batman, Batman 75th anniversary variant for the Superman comic book. How did that come about? Uh, I was contacted from somebody at DC, and they asked me if I wanted to do it. And I said, well, here's my condition. I don't want to draw new, new Batman, new Superman, because I, I really hate those new costumes. So I'm like, well, I can draw Superman with his underwear on the outside of his pants, so I am good to go. And they said, okay. And so I, 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 mean, I just drew it. it was, and, and Mark Turello, who's a guy I'm going for, was like, is this a con sketch? Why is this here immediately? And I was like, ah, I just I had an idea. And, and uh, I just did it. And, it's, and it was like, no, I totally did. In fact, here's, here's JPEGs of me working on it to prove that this is not done way ahead of time. And he's like, well, usually we get people to do sketches. And so we, it's a good thing I like it. And it's like, well, it is. Did you respond thing. with, do you know who I am? No, I, it was, I mean, really the, the, the bottom line for me is, well, this is the cover I did. If you want to publish it, we can do that. Right. If, you, if you're thinking you're going to come in there afterward and... and and do something else. It's like, well, this is the cover that's drawn. You could publish it or you could not publish it, but I'm, I'm not going to do another one. So, <laughs> if that's not the way you work, sorry, <laughs> but that's kind of the way I work. I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm terrible, but I've been doing this a, a little while, and I, it's like, come on, give me, give me a break. I know, I know what I'm doing here. This is my first rodeo. Yeah, I mean, what do you have? Uh well, more than 197 at this point. 
hundreds of covers under your belt. Yeah. You'd think maybe you know how to compose one. Yeah, I know how to, you know, you leave room for the logo, I got it, you know, whatever. <laughs> Things aren't covering up parts of the logo that are that are essential. There's there's a place where you can put that little UPC thing. Come on. Uh, <laughs> uh, I find that funny. Uh, so in Savage Dragon right now, you got Malcolm has taken over the bo- well, taken over the book. Situation has occurred where Malcolm is the lead character. Yes. And you foresee that happening. I heard you say the other day to a fan who's looking forward to Dragon Junior Junior that one day he will see that. So can we just? Assume that, uh, or hope that Malcolm will not be uh, an underaged parent with a baby with a baby, basically? Well, he will be 18 in October. So, really, unless there's something going on that we don't know about, uh, that really can't happen anyway. So, I mean, we're already there. We're already at that point where he'll be a, a, a legal adult here in, in a few months. So. A legal adult still does not necessarily make him a grown-up. No, that's true. <laughs> that's true. You know, he's just got to make it through high school. Cross your fingers. <laughs> Hope for the best. Uh, not a drinking age yet, so... I don't know. You know, it's kind of fun to have a book that's set in real time because you can kind of screw with a lot of these things that we didn't have to... We, we'd never really experienced before. We've never really seen characters in regular comic books get born and grow to adulthood in the context of an ongoing comic book, you know, and suddenly he's the lead character and it's not changing back it's, you know, because while that's going on, his his dad's sitting there, I'm almost 52 for crying out loud, I don't want to be you know, so it's like time's changing for all the characters in it, and eventually we'll be at that point where He'll have a son, and his son will be ready to, you know. So it's it's been kind of fun. Um, so two hundred is coming up, and you know a few months away. Typically, you do these giant hundred-page deals. Yeah. Are you planning on the same thing? Of course. <laughs> now I I kind of feel like obliged to. Um, I don't know that I'm going to do that for two fifty. Because because these these do take a lot of making it work, but yeah, whatever. And, and people are like, oh, I want to be part of this. This will be cool. Chris Burnham did a really awesome Angel and Mr. Glum story that I I wrote for him, and it's like, well, that's cool. So he wants to be part of this celebration, and and I've been kind of friend with Herb Trimpey and a fan of Herb Trimpey forever and so we're I'm kind of doing two stories with him one I'm penciling and he's inking and one he's penciling and I'm inking so that'll be just kind of a fun fun thing the, the story that he's penciling is is Dragon and Malcolm when Malcolm was way young and Dragon and they go back into go back to World War II to fight Nazis because I mean who wouldn't want to do that <laughs> <laughs> and then the the story that I'm penciling for him is Dragon with no powers now fighting Mr. Glum. And so Mr. Glum is, is you know, he's two feet tall, but he's a formidable opponent. 
<laughs> and it just seemed like, oh, this will be fun. You heard it here first. Mr. Glum is coming back. It happens. What can you do? I mean, I, lo- I love a lot of these characters, and it's nice to be able to go, oh, cool, I got 100 pages that I can showcase some of them and, and monkey around with it. Uh, starting next to you, Frank Bosco and Gary Carlson, they're back to work on doing another Vanguard serial, so we're going to see some more Vanguard stuff going on. And so that's leading up to them doing a, a story that's in 200 as well, so it'll be four months in a row. Um, and it's just... It's cool to see kind of stuff all come together, you know? But it's a little weird because as anniversaries go, it's it's Malcolm's eighth issue, you know? So it's like, <laughs> here's our big celebratory issue eight. Um, but at the same time, it's been an ongoing book, so the, the 200th issue kind of reflects the history of the title rather than just... Will you make a joke about being the 8th issue on the cover of 200? <laughs> Special 8th issue. <laughs> nah, I probably won't. <laughs> Although, you know, people are like, oh, it's 200, you got to do all kind of extra covers, so we'll see what happens. 200 covers? Yeah, there you go. One for every get, reader. Robert Kirkman's a big fan, you could probably get him to draw a cover. I know, right? That would be cool. Alright. That's all my questions. So, if you got anything else you'd like to add, go for it. I, I you know, I got nothing. I come. He to is shows, vigorously shaking his head no right now. I come to these shows. I mean, it's been it's it's been a kind of fun show. It's been been kind of laid back. It's nice to be able to to sit and gas with people, this different people about different. So stuff. then, have you possibly rethought rethought the not coming back next year? We'll see. I mean, really, I kind of had to because I had. I had meeting stuff that needed to be done, and we we finally got this giant sized kung fu Bible stories thing done and out. And it's like, oh, I should be at least there for that. But it's at the same time, the the show itself is very overwhelming. It, it takes a lot of energy just to participate in it, and and in terms of time well spent. I end up seeing a lot more fans at a lot smaller shows because this people's attention are divided because there's 2,000 comic book guests and all sorts of media guests and people are running every which way and if they don't happen to find you then sorry you're not found it is yeah it's tiring attending I can only imagine how tiring it would be to actually be doing something here well, other than walking around. This year I'm, I'm essentially attending. So, I mean, other than my my couple-hour obligation of signing at the image booth, I'm pretty much just wandering around looking at stuff. And but are you going to stand in line for any panels? No. <laughs> Screw that noise. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't really care about what goes on. In there. And I, it's like, I'll, I'll get that news later on, so... It's all good. You'll get the news when it actually happens instead of it's just news? What's weird is, like, there is this big image announcement, and I still don't know what the hell we announced. It's like, oh, sorry. Because I'm not really in that loop. Uh, Eric Stevenson doesn't call me up and say, oh, you're not going to believe who we signed up. So it, they announce stuff, and I'm like, oh, wow, that's cool. Well, look forward to that. <laughs> you know, but I, I'll find out about it Monday. Cool, man. Well, thank you very much for uh, agreeing to a groundbreaking interview. 
That's how that works. <laughs> All right. Have a good one. All right. So it, it didn't sound all that green. No, no. It was not literally green. Oh. Uh, we did talk a little bit about the Kung Fu Bible, or whatever it's called. You'll hear it in the interview. Yeah. Uh, that book looks awesome. It's oversized, uh, whatever they call that, legacy, or whatever they call that kind of printing. Right. Um, but it looks great, and it's a bunch of different stories by a bunch of different really good writers and artists. So I'd say pick that up if you see it somewhere. Well, and then you finish it all off with probably the piece de resistance. That's right. The star of Comic-Con, Robert Kirkman, granted me a one-minute and 40-second interview on the very last day after uh, the Skybound panel. I was able to track him down in the hallway and I said, hey, can we get a quick interview for the podcast? He's like, you know, I got to go to another thing, but we can do it if it's quick. I said, it's going to be less than five minutes. And sure enough, we hammered it out in one minute and 40 seconds. Now, does he remember you from all of your previous uh, Oh, absolutely, yes. He, uh, he got me into the Walking Dead panel again this year. Um, he had done... Similar to two years ago when I got into the Walking Dead panel with him, he had just done a signing and uh, was heading over to the Walking Dead panel. And I caught up to him and uh, started talking to him about the panel. He's like, yeah, why don't you come with me? So we're walking up the uh, escalator. And in front of us was a gentleman dressed as Spaceman Spiff from Calvin and Hobbes. But uh, he didn't. It was cool, but he didn't have his visor down, so we couldn't really... It was kind of hard to place what he was wearing. So he turned around, and he's like, oh my god, you're Robert Kirkman. And he goes, yeah, wh- what are you dressed as? It looks very familiar. He's like, oh, it's Spaceman Spiff, and he put the visor down, and everybody's like, oh my god. He goes, oh, well, that's cool. And he goes, yeah. He's like, hey, are you coming to my panel? He's like, what panel is that? He's like, the Walking Dead panel. And the guy goes, oh, I, the line for that's out the door. He's like, come in with us. So we went in with Spaceman Spiff <laughs> and uh, two other guys who ended up, they were just kind of standing around in the exit area of the, uh, of the room, and they, tried to, they wanted to get pictures with Robert, and he invited them to come in as well. So you're saying that hanging out with Robert Kirkman is kind of like following Dorothy to Oz. Yeah. You pick yeah. up people along the way. Pick up stragglers along the way. It's great. <laughs> That's awesome. Let's, let's listen to that lengthy interview right now. Let's do it. All right, I've cornered Robert Kirkman after a panel. Robert, how's the con? It's over almost. It's over. I'm excited. We had a lot of fun. Oh, okay. Uh, it's you know it's been a lot of fun. Uh, uh, we got, got a lot of cool announcements, but uh, you know as much as I love Comic Con, it's nice that it's Sunday. It's very exciting. So uh, so yeah, I'm ready to move on, get back to work. You did have some cool announcements. Tell the fanboys a couple of them. Uh, you know, we announced that uh, Outcast got uh, picked up for a series, so we're uh, going into production on the pilot of that show. Uh, we've got uh, a new book at Skybound called Birthright by uh, Joshua Williamson and Andre Bresson that's coming out in uh, in October. 
October. So that's pretty cool. We announced a, uh, a Telltale is doing uh, Season 3 of their Walking Dead game. Uh, we showed a new trailer for Walking Dead Season 5, and I believe we revealed the date October 12th uh, for the debut of Season 5. That might have already been announced. Uh, I feel like there might have been some more. Uh, Skybound's doing a new uh, card game called Super Fight. That's a really great, uh, you know, card game you can play with your friends and uh, I think that's I think that's enough I think that's it did yeah. you just announce a passenger because I interviewed Charlie at Big Wow and he said he was working on something but he couldn't tell me what it was we didn't we announced passenger a few years ago but we're certainly uh, talking about it again now that we're getting closer to releasing it with the Walking Dead show and everything we got a little sidetrack for that side project but uh, now we're wrapping things up with it and uh, we'll be able to uh, release it very soon superb all right I'll let you get to it have a good one. All right, man. Great. It's great talking to you. Thanks, buddy. Thanks a lot. Well, you were quite a lucky boy at Comic-Con. Absolutely. I feel like every year it just keeps getting luckier and luckier. I didn't even get to tell you. So on uh, Saturday, I should preface this with the Howard Stern Show has what is called the wrap-up show. They do it live every day, Monday through Friday. And they, the guys that are on the wrap-up show, which is not Howard Stern, but it does include Baba Booey. Okay. They came out to Comic-Con this year to do uh, live wrap-up shows on Thursday and Friday. And the, uh, what's it called? No, Friday and Saturday, I guess. And Geek Time, which is hosted by Howard's stylist, Ralph Sorella, where they talk about comic books. He has a bunch of creators on all the time as well. He's had Joe Quesada on and Kirkman's been on there. Well, just a second. I'm not, yes. I'm not a big Stern fan in that I, I watch him on America's Got Talent. But that's right. Um, his stylist? Yeah, that, this guy. The guy who does his hair? No, that's a different person. The guy that buys his clothes, basically. Okay. So. This guy, Ralph, who used to be on the show way back when, he was actually constantly on the show. Now he just kind of calls in, and he's just known as Howard's stylist. But he's now a personality on the show, and they gave him his own show on, if you have Sirius, there's a channel that is the Howard Stern channel, and then there's another channel that's like the extra Howard Stern channel where they have other original programming. Okay. One of the shows is Geek Time, hosted by Ralph. Um, so anyway, they did these live shows. And so I tweeted a guy, one of the producers and said, Hey, if you guys are going to have an audience for any of these live shows, I'd love to come. And he ended up responding and said, you know, email me and we'll try to get you in. So I emailed him and on Thursday, I guess he said, would you want to come Saturday at 11 AM? I said, absolutely. So he never got back to me with, the location, I knew it was at the Hilton, but I didn't know where. So on Saturday morning at about 10.30, I went over to the Hilton and uh, went up to the third floor because I knew the second floor was the Indigo Ballroom. Right. So I get up to the third floor and I ask the security guard where they're recording the uh, Howard Stern radio shows, and he had no idea. But he said, you can walk down there and check because I had my press badge on and the hallway that I was walking down was for like press conferences and stuff. So he's like, you're press, go ahead. I said, all right, thanks. So I walked down the hall and it was really just a couple of rooms that were opened up for, you know, media events. Right. So I walk back and as I get back to the escalator, 
the guy who I had been talking to, Jason Kaplan, one of the producers, was coming off the escalator. So I said, hey, I'm Nate. Uh, you emailed me. He's like, oh, yeah, come on over here. So he walked me over to this room, and it wasn't unlocked yet. So he said, just wait out here. So I waited in the hallway, and uh, all the guys from the show slowly trickle in. So I got to meet uh, Baba Bowie himself, uh, Gary Delbate. Yes. And, I know that much. <laughs> and the rest of the guys. So then I got to sit in for the wrap-up show. They had about 15 or 20 guests. So after the show was over, everybody's out in the hallway taking pictures and whatnot. And I chatted with a guy that used to be a caller, Sal the Stockbroker, and now he's also on the show as one of the uh, writers. And I asked him about the... Gilbert Gottfried as the Joker bit that they did a couple months ago where they took audio of Gilbert just saying weird things and edited it into an old Batman 66 TV show clips. So it sounds like Gilbert Gottfried as the Joker is talking to Adam West and Burt Ward um, as Batman and Robin. Right. So they said, yeah, they did that. And I said, you guys need to really push that because he – he needs to be cast as the Joker in the next Batman film. And so we're chatting, and then they they had to get to a signing, so we all ended up walking pretty much together over to the Entertainment Earth booth. And they didn't know where it was, so I kind of took them in there and showed them where it was. So Sal says, hey, this guy's with us when we get to the booth. And he took me upstairs to basically the Entertainment Earth green room, or whatever you want to call it. Uh, where everybody from the show was eating lunch and just kind of hanging out. So I got to hang out with everybody from the Howard Stern show. And then they put me in the front of the line to get autographs uh, after that when they started their signing. So, yes, I was a lucky boy at Comic-Con this year. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I, on that note, I think uh, we'll just draw this to a close then. Sounds good. And if I was Derek, I would remind people that if they have the feeling like they want to give something back to the Fanboy Planet community, they can go to the site and they can click that PayPal button or they can buy something using a link on the uh, on the site for any of the reviews or movies That's right. or things we put. But they should always think first about supporting their friendly, friendly neighborhood brick-and-mortar stores because we don't want to see those disappear from the face of the earth like the buffalo, they are an endangered species, and we cannot let them uh, fall into extinction. That's right. Somewhere, somewhere like Hijinx Comics in San Jose, or Earth 2 in Sherman Oaks, or the Comic Bug in Manhattan, or maybe Elusive Comics in Santa Clara. Yeah, one of those. So, until next oh, time. Oh, don't forget that they should oh. also uh, subscribe on iTunes. Oh, yes. Uh, or Stitcher. They can and rate us. Stitcher and rate us, please. And rate us high. I think he doesn't say that when he says rate us. Rate us high. I'm not above. I'm not above saying a seven or an eight rating on 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 a scale of five is probably applicable for this. That's right. We should be getting eleven out of ten. Eleven out of ten. I think we brought be. these fine listeners. Kirkman, you, you took them Todd virtually Nock. to Comic Con with you. That's right. Yes. Luminaries in the industry. <laughs> I, well, that's that's it for now. <laughs>
We should remind everyone something. I don't remember what it is that you know, they I, need to remember. I, I, I'm trying to figure out how we do this with just two people. I'd first like to thank our man in Los Angeles. I'm Nate Costa. And I am Rick Brett Snyder, reminding you to use, use your, power your powers only for good. good. Hey, maybe it's Derek that screws that up. <laughs> I think it's me every time. <laughs> and thanks once again to the great Luke Ski for use of his music in this podcast. Visit Luke Ski at www. The great Luke L U K E S K I dot com. The power of brains compels you. All right, whenever you're ready. Hey, this is Sean. Remember to use your powers only for good. Awesome. Okay, I think we got this down. <laughs> <laughs>